to the planet earth this is your host adisa banjoko thank you for tuning in to the bishop chronicles this is farside tv you are listening to side life radio as you can tell i'm a little relaxed today and that's because it's ramadan the whole month of may is uh ramadan and it moves on a lunar calendar uh some of you know but some of you don't i am a muslim and i've been muslim since i was 20 years old and before that i was you know, pretty lost individual, pretty, you know, I had overcome binge drinking on my own without AA uh, while I was still in high school. But, you know, I had a very kind of scattered mind. I had a very undisciplined mind. I had a lot of negative thoughts. I had a lot of negative impressions of myself. And were it not for Islam, I wouldn't be alive today. I, I promise you, I wouldn't I wouldn't be alive. And I know that in a world where organized religion has done so much damage, damage that it should have actually been the cure for more often than not, unfortunately, I have to tell you, I have to tell you that the religion of Islam, I watched it turn drug dealers and real shooters into community leaders, into fathers, into married men with ethics, into protectors of the elders. And this is a big deal. And it's hard now to really appreciate it then. But if you are from my generation, and again, I'm 50 years old, if you remember the late 80s and the early 90s, all of America, all these hoods were nothing but death cauldrons. No question. Crack was everywhere. Cocaine powder was everywhere. It was wild. It was a wild time, okay? And Islam reformed a lot of young black men and women that America has simply just not even worked to destroy, but like really just never acknowledged existed, you know? So when you can be born and die so quick before your, your life sacredness is even acknowledged, it's a big deal. And so Islam was a huge tool for saving lives of black people lost and scattered across North America. I saw it firsthand many times, but one guy I'll tell you about was Ron. Ron was a guy who I went to Laney College with. I took a class in African-American history, and he was um, a real street dude. He was big, young, lean, cut. His skin was like dark chocolate for real. But every time we would be in class, you know, the teacher, I believe his name was Mr. Robinson, he would he would talk about slavery and like Ron would, would raise his hand up and he'd be like, what if people fought back though? How come we didn't fight back? And a lot of the quote unquote woke people for that generation would roll their eyes and like, you know, and they would always be rude to him and I would always not let them do that. I would always speak up for him. I would always make sure that, you know, he 
had somebody in his in his corner, you know. And then, you know, I I, I got older. A year or two later, I I moved. I got engaged, and I walked into uh, a Muslim restaurant one day. And standing at the door was Ron in a suit with a bow tie on, smiling. I saw Islam change him. He was a real street dude. No one in Oakland will tell you different. And he's just one example of people that I saw Islam change. So I'm dedicating this entire show to Islam and hip hop. Because when it comes to Islam or like rather hip hop and theology as a discussion, this was really one of my first specialties. I've lectured about hip hop and Islam at Harvard. I've done it at Brown. I've done it at Stanford. I've done it a lot of places. In the years before I started Hip Hop Chess Federation, I was known for my talks on Islam and hip hop. And so, you know, it's hard for you now to see it and understand it and really appreciate it. But at the beginning, hip hop had a lot more morals. At the beginning, hip hop had a lot more speech around freedom and truth and eating healthy and respect for women and marriage and knowledge. And these are things have become almost uh, alien to hip hop right now. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't be entertainment. I love it as entertainment. But the knowledge has been like siphoned out of hip hop largely, deliberately by corporate radio stations and TV stations, period. Okay. You know, in the old days, you know, there were amazing groups that really helped bring Islam to the forefront of mainstream America. So a lot of young black men and women could start studying Islam and, you know, public enemy is at the forefront for me. My journey towards Islam was reignited through hip hop, but I was taught about Islam through my father, who, despite being Catholic, used to play Malcolm X records for me sometimes on Sunday mornings. After we would eat, he would sit me down next to the speakers and he would play Malcolm X. And when I heard a certain Public Enemy song, which you'll hear later in this podcast when I'm talking to my guest, I was reignited. You know, around that same year, I believe, I went to Spain and we were on top of King Ferdinand's castle and my father was holding me and he was pointing across the water and he said, that's home. That's home. He was pointing at Africa. And I never forgot that. You know, And so we'll never know how many lives Public Enemy saved for real. Especially in the late 80s, early 90s. We we, we just, we will not know. And Public Enemy is one of several groups who had that kind of impact on me and had that kind of impact on hip hop itself. And so this episode, I have uh, a special guest, a really dope MC named Unlearn the World. And we're going to talk about hip hop. We're going to talk about Islam. We're going to talk about how we've grown through it. And I dedicate this to the Muslims around the world who are suffering. Know that my heart is with you. It's hard as an American right now to really appreciate what's happening to the Muslims in China. They're being put in concentration camps and it's not okay. 
you know, in um, different parts of the world, Muslims are consistently under attack, sometimes by Buddhists, sometimes in different parts of Africa. Not only do African Muslims have to deal with, you know, Muslims in Palestine are suffering. Muslims in Chechnya are suffering. Muslims in Mali, Nigeria, Myanmar, the genocide of Myanmar. Most of you don't even know about it. There's a book called Rising Up and Rising Down. You need to go get that book. It's really big. It's in several volumes, but there's an abridged version of Rising Up and Rising Down, and you should get it. You should get that book so you can understand how bad violence is around the world. When I talk to you about nonviolence, I'm not speaking as like some stupid hippie. I study war for real. I study peace for real. And the world is in one of the ugliest places that I've ever seen it. I speak to the elders. I ask them, has it ever been this bad? They often say no. But that's why this show is done. To spread truth and peace and love and health, you know? And I'm not doing this show right now, this episode, to convert any of you. I'm not doing this show to convince any of you that I'm not a terrorist. You should know that by now. That I'm a good human being fundamentally. Not perfect. Very flawed. But fundamentally, I'm a good guy. And for me, Islam works. I've seen it work for a lot of other people. And I'm grateful. And so that's, this is the show of gratitude. My gratitude to Allah, my gratitude to you, so that you might understand me a little better. And my gratitude to the artists in hip hop who have shared the beauty of Islam, whether it comes from the 5%, the NOI, or... Sunni Muslims, of which I, I am one. And so I'll tell you if you want to like really peep some of the dope old school hip hop that, that highlights this, obviously anything by Public Enemy, you know, Brand Nubian, you know, great records from Brand Nubian. The Intelligent Hoodlum, first album. I would start with his song called Intelligent Hoodlum, and then I would look at like Arrest the President, you know what I'm saying? Black and Proud, great album. Um... Anything by Poor Righteous Teachers, but a special shout out to the New World Order album, Paris. Not Paris Hilton, fool. The original Paris. All right? The Devil Made Me Do It. That album, ridiculous. Ice Cube's Death Certificate, ridiculous. All right? And so you check that, you will learn some beautiful stuff. Also, I just want to point you in the direction of some books, Right? Autobiography of Malcolm X at the top of the list. If you were a black man when I was young and you hadn't read that book, most people thought you had some type of uh, problem learning because you should have read it, you know? And when I look at a lot of these young men out here today and young women, like they don't have any knowledge of Malcolm X and that dignity, you know? Uh, Muhammad Ali said, you know, that one of the things that that Africa had, that African-Americans did not, is they knew how to have dignity in their poverty and that that had been removed from us. Malcolm X gave us that dignity in our poverty. And it's gone now. 
That's why all the syrup and all the stupid trends on the streets right now are popping off. But not just right now, any stupid trend always comes from not having knowledge itself. Purification of the Heart by Hamza Yusuf is a beautiful spiritual book no matter what your path. Purification of the Heart. It deals with the spiritual diseases of the heart and their cures. Golden Age of the Moor by Ivan Van Sertima. Unbelievable book. Unbelievable book. And you know I'm going to champion every single time People of the Book by Zachary Carabell. The, the last book I'm going to mention before we really get into this interview is... Sachiko Murata. She wrote a book called The Tao of Islam. Now, this is a heavy book, meaning that one of her paragraphs is greater than most people's whole pages. She writes like in the strength of Dr. John Henry Clark, who could write a sentence better than your paragraph. Okay? If you don't really understand Taoism besides like, oh, I like the yin-yang, or if you don't really have anything but a super cursory level of understanding Islam, you probably shouldn't have this book. This book is for people who really know at least one side of that coin. It'd be better if you have both. If you don't have both, if you want to read a really amazing book on Eastern philosophy and Islam, uh, you should look up The Black Pearl by Henry Bayman. Unbelievable works. Okay? Now, if we're talking about to jump back to hip-hop, if we want to talk about rappers you should be listening to right now, yeah, Dish, you're talking all this Islam, but like, that's way back, blah, blah, Plus, Wu-Tang. Wu-Tang re-championed the banner of Islam when almost everything had fallen off. You know what I mean? Shout out to Wu-Tang for real. Uh, but I've also got to shout out Brother Ali. I've also got to shout out Kadir Latif. Kadir Latif is still one of the dopest rappers breathing in North American soil right now. Slept on. Go to YouTube. Learn. Bars. Also, I'm going to shout out Amir Suleiman, who, while not technically being an MC, he's more of a spoken word dude. Ridiculous bars. Ridiculous bars. You should start with Come to the Hills, but you then you go wherever you want. Um, of course, I, I got to give you some books that deal with Islam and hip hop. I'm going to start with uh, one of my favorite women to discuss and break down these connections. Her name is Suwad Abdul Kabir, Muslim Cool, Race, Religion, and Hip Hop in the United States. That's on Amazon right now. All these books are on Amazon right now. And also The Five Percenters, Islam, Hip Hop, and the Gods of New York by Michael Muhammad Knight. If you want that clarity, that's where you get it. I hope you really sit with this. This is a fun conversation. I don't want you to think because of my tone, like, this is about to be hella boring, bruh. Da, da, da. No. Unlearn the World it has a great story about his life in, in, in hip-hop as a youngster in New York and New Jersey back in the day. And he's a killer MC, and he's got a lot of wisdom, and he teaches kids in juvenile hall. He, he teaches beat making. He teaches in the schools. And he's a great dude. You need to get at this guy. He's amazing. So right now... We're going to take it from the top. I'm going to bring Unlearn the World into the building and, and, and support this dude. Because he's good for you. He's good for you. All right? For the Muslims around the world, have a fantastic Ramadan. And on that note, this is Farside TV. This is Bishop Chronicles. It's going down on Side Life Radio. 
Peace to the planet Earth. You know what it is. It is Adisa Banjoko, the Bishop of Hip Hop, a.k.a. the South Bay Shogun, a.k.a. the Iron Hook Assassin. You know what I'm saying? Uncle House Shoes, you heard me? You know what I'm saying? We talking about that Black Cortez killer. Ain't nobody really. That's me, boy. And you know what I do, man. I, what I tell you, man, I never bring you just regular ass people, bruh. Do I? Stop playing. I never bring regular ass people. I always bring like the realest MCs, the realest fighters, the realest thinkers, you know what I'm saying? The realest artists. And, 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 you know, this whole time I haven't really had anybody that was, um, thugging on hip hop education. Like this guy I got right here. I want you to put your hands together, do a quick bow to unlearn the world. Ah, <laughs> Yeah, I do. I'm doing the. I'm doing the master head yeah. nod, like you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Like when you when you used to bow to your sensei, you exactly. nodded back. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm like, saying. So I'm doing that right now. Word, man. Welcome to the Bishop Chronicles, man. Thank, Thank you, you for having me, man. It's good to be here. Really good to be here. So I mean, look, man. I mean, um, you are actually nebulous. You are a hard man to define. You know what I'm saying. You are a teacher. You 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 are a scholar. You 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 are an artist. You know what I'm saying. But like uh, father. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, battle judge, uh, uh, <laughs> recording artist. It goes, you know what I'm saying? All high, the like high level performer, freestyler, battle rapper. So before I leave something out, please introduce yourself to the Bishop Chronicle family. Well, like you told the people, my name is Unlearn the World, you know, originally from New York City. You know, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook and all of those things, unlearn the world as it sounds, as it's spelled, if you can spell right. And I'm Word. Sure you, you, I'm sure you have a savvy audience. They can, they can spell They're right. They're smart. <laughs> yeah. My you know people are smart. Yeah. But no, I think all, all the things you said is exactly what I am and is what I do. You know what I'm saying? I always, I always tell people that I'm hip hop in the flesh. It's kind of like a play on like, you know, some like biblical references. Yeah. And yeah. like, you know, just the culture of hip hop. Like, I, you know, I, it's like I tell my students all the time. I didn't go have to go on YouTube or SoundCloud to to find out about hip hop. Who's out there, boy? It was literally all around me, you know, and I grew up in that. And I, I'm blessed and privileged to have grown up in the golden era of it all. You know now, what, what is the golden era, man? Okay. In my opinion. Tell in it. In my opinion. Mm-hmm. It is Everywhere from 1986 mm. to 1996, in my opinion. Ooh, that's deep. See, I go from 83 to 93. Mm. Mm. You know, is what there saying? a particular reasoning? Are you trying to squeeze in a couple of albums? That may- <laughs> well, I think if I'm being honest, it's probably just based on me. Like, okay, yeah, like that's, that's when fair. I, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like Cold Crush. I'm like, okay, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. hearing like uh, uh, Clear. You know what I'm saying? And totally. other, you know, and like what? And like really kind of getting wound up in that. And then all the way to like 93 to infinity when, in my opinion, at 93, that's when like the culture and the industry was the closest to ever being in sync. Right. You know what I mean? So you had like everything from NWA to De La Soul. And, right. You know what I mean? And every and it was all seen as hip hop. You know what I mean? And Hammer or whatever. Right? And But like everybody is seen as hip hop and like it's that diverse. So, exactly. And that's, and that's so what I... Me, but like them three years ain't no difference. That's bro. what I tell people all you know the time. I mean? It's like from, from the, that, that 10 years period of time, in my opinion, you were introduced to the most diverse assortment of hip hop artists and hip hop stories and narratives and of, experiences of, and yeah, personal of young experiences. black young black children in America yeah. like that you were exposed to the De La Souls just as much as you were exposed to NWA right or the DOC Wu-Tang. or the Ghetto Boys right. you know what I'm saying all of it, it from every geographic location in the United States 
Every single experience that you could think about in urban life was chronicled in that era. Mm-hmm. So, you know what I'm saying? And again, it's the era right before 1997, which in my in my opinion and for my right, 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 experience right. of it is the is what I call the B point, right? It's the point where hip hop becomes a billion dollar industry mm-hmm. and changes everything, right? Mm-hmm. 1997 on the heels of the 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 murder of Tupac, yeah. Biggie Smalls is murdered. Yeah. Puff Daddy seems to take over the world. Everything. Samples everything. Still scaring everybody. That, yeah. And then hip hop just becomes this like a humongous genre of music and becomes a billion dollar industry in terms yeah. of every yeah. facet of the music, the art, the the yeah. the craft of it, movies, fashion, everything just, you know, mm-hmm. and it kind of changes. Sonically, it changes in terms of its business. It changes right. in terms of the culture. You start to see that trickle down into the streets in New York prior to that. Right, it's like you said, the the music industry, in 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 one way or another, was kind of getting it right in mm-hmm. terms of what was popping in the streets and mm-hmm. with the culture, mm-hmm. and they were kind of hand in hand. So mm-hmm. those artists that you would see at the open mics and the ciphers right. and whatever, whatever, you know, months later would have, you know, number one records, right, and be on the radio and be traveling the world and doing all of those things. So it was it was a very uh, that's the time I grew up in. That's the time I'm a product of the '80s. I was born, you know, '81. So I'm now. What part of New York are you from? I'm born and raised in Washington Heights, Manhattan. Okay. You know, right above Harlem. Money making Manhattan. Yep, Manhattan keeps on making it. Right <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All of that. So yeah. So it was, you know, that was the neighborhood I was in. Is kind, you know, is Dominican, um, you know, Caribbean uh, neighborhood. You had every every influence you could think of, you know? And yeah. then besides that, like, I, I went to school in Times Square. All of my friends were from Brooklyn. My father lived in Queens, so I was going to Queens every weekend. You know, I was hanging out in Brooklyn. I was battle rapping in Brooklyn. So I I, I was a product of all the different that, girls. You, you were just immersed in, in that moment. Right, exactly. What do you remember as uh, the first record that you bought? First, rec- first rap record. First yeah. rap record I ever bought yeah. was... Eric B for president. Okay. Actually, you know what? Correction. It was a, it was like a rap compilation tape. Mm. And, but the only song that I would listen to mm. on this entire ca- compilation, I couldn't even tell you any other song right, right. other than Eric B for president. Right. That was okay. the first, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That was the first record that I was like staying up late at night in my room on my Walkman listening right, to. Right, just over and on over repeat. again. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. it was just the, the, the something about the beat, something about the scratches, Rakim's voice. I mean, it was out of control. You know, it was like, and you know, I, I don't I don't exactly remember what year that was. I know it wasn't the year that the song came out, but it yeah, was like yeah. something around that time. But it was that was the rem, the one record I remember saying, okay, I'm into this rap thing. Right, right, like, right. I'm 100 into this hip hop thing. So, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's crazy, man. <laughs> now, when you think about your time back then, and you think about that era, were you like when I first kind of came through in the hip hop? I was I was just in a music period, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And then I started listening to hip hop, and then like. As a participant, I came in as a dancer, but I danced horribly, so that was short. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The, the 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 mind was willing. Yeah, the body, <laughs> the was, body not, was just bro. not. The body was not. Uh, I am horrible. I have no rhythm. It's very tragic. And so then I moved into beatboxing and tagging, and I went from that into MCing and d- into DJing and MCing. So like, was were you always an MC or did you? I used was. To like, I was you- always an MC. I mean, you know, I. 
as a as a product of the '80s, I, the person who exposed me the most to music and entertainment was Michael Jackson, of okay. course. So, like, I'm yeah. sure there's 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 a video out there somewhere of me at a talent show trying to be Michael Jackson, <laughs> blackmail material. If I ever pop off like that, but um, he's paying. <laughs> I am. I'm 100. <laughs> percent But no, so I mean, that was my like that was my foyer into just like being really into music. Like the first CD I ever bought was a Michael Jackson CD. But in terms of hip hop, like it started with me rapping and I started rapping when I was 10 years old, just kind of freestyling, like improvisational, coming mm-hmm. up with little cool, little cute rhyme schemes. Mm-hmm. But it was a lot of it was just to kind of make sense of my life and to have something therapeutic to do to kind of like rested my soul whenever I felt tense or weird or mm-hmm. whatever the case mm-hmm. was. And it wasn't until like 13 that I started actually writing my raps done, but it was my, my four years of hip hop had, had always been rap music. And, um, you know, I love dancing, but it wasn't like break dancing or anything. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. like just dancing. Just yeah. Like just whatever dance, it, yeah. You know, whatever it was, but in terms of hip hop, it was, it was, it had to have been rapping. That was, that was it. Like yeah. all those, all the, all the songs I was listening to, me putting words together and, and coming up with little cute phrases that were making sense of my life at the time. That's mm-hmm. exactly what I was, was, was into. And then all the other elements kind of just like came after the case, after the case. And it was like a floodgate after that. Now, how'd you end up on the West coast? Um, I always tell people I, I came for a woman. I stayed for the money. Yeah. There you <laughs> you know go. what I'm saying? Like, no, I mean, you know, in, in, in detail, like I was, I was, Trying to get into the music industry. I was touring the country. I was doing the Lyricist Lounge Club Series tours. Mm-hmm. I was down with those folks. I was trying to put together an a, a independent record label with friends of mine from high school. We were going back and forth from New York to Detroit at the time. So the music industry just basically chewed me up and spit me out. Mm-hmm. And and in the midst of all that, I fell in love. So I came out here to California. Where, California uh, love. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? I needed a change of scenery and I had a woman who 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 loved me and that's yeah. really much all I needed at the time. Right. But at the same time, I was tired of being broke. I was tired of being a starving artist and trying to figure out rent money and rapping at the same time. So I just got a regular job. Like I was like doing temp assignments and I made a, a couple of cool little temp assignments into, into something that was worth putting on a resume right. that then got me a, a really good job. Right, right. And, you know, I'm all of 21 years old in California and, yeah. and getting a regular paycheck for the first time in my life. Kind of good. Fresh. Kind of a good thing. Fresh. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I could buy sneakers whenever I want. Oh, ah. I could pay rent. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, you know, yeah. I, 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 can do I, I could get used to this job yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So like, the, and, the, and that's what it was. And I, I think like most people, you you kind of talk yourself into a career. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. there are people who like, they know what they want to do. Yeah, I was very passionate about it. And then they go out and they get their job and they, they, they mm-hmm. you know, they keep pursuing their passion. For me, my passion had always been the arts, had always mm-hmm. been emceeing and rapping and wanting to be a rapper. And then the industry itself scared the the the, the life out of me. It literally scared any level of joy of you know what I'm saying. And I just wanted to just kind of kind of dabble in music, but then still be realistic enough, right? To just kind of be able to like take care of my family and take care of you know the woman I love and all this stuff. Like that's you know, and then you you have kids, and then all right, now I got to really take care of my family. And like I was still doing music, but that wasn't like. What was driving I, I, you? Yeah, it wasn't the driving force anymore. It was like stability mm-hmm. and peace of mind and, and family. I can go on a vacation whenever I want right. to now, and right. you know I'm cool with this. And you kind of talk yourself into it until like I had like a completely 
crazy existential crisis and like mm. breakdown. And I was like, this is not what I should be doing with my life. You know what I mean? Like I went, to, I went to performing arts high school, I went to performing arts college. Mm-hmm. My trajectory as, as if you asked the 15 year old me was you're going to be a rapper. And if you can't be a rapper, you're going to be a career academic and you're going to mm-hmm. teach and you're going to still do music and you're still going to produce right. things. And you, that was my trajectory. So I woke up one day, and I tell people this all the time. It's funny. I, I woke up one day. I was watching the movie Gandhi, and I, it was a weird part in the movie where it was just like it was. It was a really like touching moment for me. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I just started like hysterical, hysterically crying, crying just like yeah. out of nowhere. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't even know what it was, but it, it was in that moment that I realized like the life that I was living was not what I wanted for myself. Dang, he really lived them Nas <laughs> lyrics. Yeah. He watched yeah. Gandhi till he's charged. Yeah, exactly. I was just Yo. like, you know what I mean? And it Queens was just, Bridge, it, for nah, real, but it was one of those things where I just realized like, yo, if the 15 year old me saw me right now, he'd be sad. Mm. And I just couldn't live with that. So from Deep. that point forward, I just went through this like existential pursuit of trying to find this balance mm-hmm. of doing music and, and involving myself really deeply in the things that I love, hip hop and community work mm-hmm. and all of that, but still trying to pay the bills. Right, right, right. That's, you know what I'm that's saying? A big deal, especially <laughs> out here in Cali, boy, where they charge you five grand for six feet of space. <laughs> exactly. Boy. It, you know what I mean? It was, it was real. It, the struggle was, California. was really real. And, and, Land, and the boy. more I started like really getting into my, my, my creative bag, the more I started kind of like isolating myself from the previous thoughts and, and, and convictions mm-hmm. that I had about my job, mm-hmm. about my marriage, about a lot of different things. And then I just started seeing that the tension build, you know what yeah. I'm saying? I'm not happy at work anymore. And then right. uh, my wife's not happy anymore. Right, you know? right. Like I'm going through all of these different things, but I had to keep on plugging away at it. So yeah, I mean, you know, California, I always, I always say like I was raised in, in New York, but California like grew me up. Like yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I became a man out here. It's, it's deep how life is like that. Right? Totally. Totally, for real. So, you know. So, man, like right now, you have a lot of dope things going on. I know totally. ROTC is part of it. I know you yes. got some new music projects. So, start with ROTC, get into your music projects, and then and then I got a real question for you. Oh, man. Yeah, I think it all really all starts with ROTC. For those who don't know, ROTC is Return of the Cypher. Return of the Cypher, boy. <laughs> Every <laughs> Sunday <laughs> at the Boom Boom Room in San Francisco, it is a live hip hop party hip hop jam as you will come on from, man. you know what i mean live dj shout live out to Kevin band Kev. shout out to kevin kev always um yeah live D- live dj live band um mcs break dancers bars. all the elements of hip hop are showed up b-boys bars every sunday night and it's the only it's the only cypher going on like that only live hip-hop cypher going on in san francisco we're about to celebrate our sixth year at the boom boom room yeah and that kind of what did it for me i, I started going there literally in the midst of uh, of the tail end of mm. my existential crisis mm-hmm. um i started going there and just became a regular just you know people started giving me props for just my stage presence and my yeah. bars and i won the mvp contest a couple of times and then just kind of like through osmosis, like, you know, you, you do a show, you get a feature and then you start doing more shows. And then it right. just kind of ventured out. Like everybody I started meeting from there on, st- 
started helping me in different ways in terms of like getting my foot and cutting my teeth in in in, in the scene yeah. out here. Yeah. And it was through that that I just started kind of reconnecting with some old friends and then saying, hey, I want to start doing kind of hip hop education work and like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I have a background in artist development and I, I worked in the music industry for a little bit and I'm still a dope MC in my opinion. Yeah, I can yeah. totally this teach kids how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so um, my, my man Philip Drummond, aka Elliot Gann. Um, Elliot Gann, boy. <laughs> executive director of Today's Future Sound started having me come out and volunteer and like work with kids on 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 writing raps mm-hmm. to beats that they were making and then also slowly but surely like getting me back into producing like I started making beats a while back but mm-hmm. I wasn't like really into it but then started getting me back into producing and making beats yeah. and then like I was using the classroom not only to teach the kids but then also to kind of hone my skills mm-hmm. as a producer Refined and you. as an MC and um, that's kind of what started the whole hip hop education work just kind of going yeah. class to class and site to site and getting new contracts and making that transition from doing insurance I was working a regular mm-hmm. 9 to 5 doing insurance mm-hmm. and then I was trying to transition into being a teaching artist mm-hmm. and the more contracts I started getting I said I started I, I have to start stepping away from this insurance thing right. if I'm going to do this music right. thing full time and sure enough I, I like you know cashed out the equity I had in whatever yeah. job I had and took out the the, 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 the savings mm-hmm. and I said okay this is going to help me float while I'm trying to find my mm-hmm. way doing this I'm going to also be a consultant at the job in terms mm-hmm. of like making sure that they got new hires and all of that but then still working these yeah. these jobs or these gigs where I'm like teaching kids and taking small little rapping assignments or rapping gigs for like 50 bucks here $25 here yep, yep. some gas money yep. you know whatever the case was and yeah but it really started at ROTC and all the people that I met there and just started kind of networking and my ability to network and my ability to like place the music industry or place business into a situation that most mm-hmm. people don't see it, do it. is what helps okay, so I'm, I'm, I was looking at the situation were like, you always okay, born that way or was it a byproduct of working for the insurance company I or? think it was a both I think it's, it's one of those things where you don't recognize the wisdom of why you're in a situation until yeah. after the fact so for me it was like I spent 10 years working at the same yeah. insurance yeah. company doing employee benefits. But there I, I got to like a high level. Right. Right. And I was able to understand business and mm-hmm. I was able to understand infrastructure mm-hmm. and all of that. But then paired that with my experience as an intern in like Loud Records and Bad Boy and working for Warner Music Group when I was in college and like all these different things. Now I'm able to come into like hip hop, which is my world. Like this right. is the world that I come from yeah. for as a kid. Like yeah. I, I know this world very well. Yeah. And I'm starting to see, okay, Who's doing what? How are they doing it? How can I do it better? How can I help them to do it better? How can we grow as a community? How can this community help me and me in turn help them? And I just started seeing that from very early on. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's sick. So, you know, it was a it was a it was a moment. It was like an opportune moment for me to start realizing my dream and my passion. And I saw that and I just started going full throttle with it. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. I love for people to hear these stories because, you know, it's important. No matter where you're at in the world, if you love hip hop or you love business, it's important to know that like you can make it happen. Totally. You know what I'm saying? It's not always the easiest route. It's not always the funnest. A lot of times it's going to be lonely. A lot of times, you know what I'm saying, you're going to be scared. But when you're really doing what you love, it is a beautiful thing. Yeah, you know and it, I mean? it, it's one of those things where like the circumstances have to like push you. Sometimes you're scared of your own 
success. Right. You're scared of your own strength. That's and real. The universe, I've been struggling with that. <laughs> the universe has to push you in order for you to do that. Like for me, it was like I was going through that existential crisis mm-hmm. that I was telling you about mm-hmm. for years. Mm-hmm. And then I got the opportunity to go to Cuba. Mm-hmm. Right. And I got it as an to do to get an artist visa. Right. Mm-hmm. So the little music that I was doing mm-hmm. qualified me enough to get a scholarship yeah, and an artist visa great. to go to Cuba. And when I was in Cuba, that became like almost a, a semi-religious spiritual How sick experience. Was that? It was, it was, I, I always say there's BC and, and AC, right, right, for me. Before Cuba and after Cuba. You're dealing with two different Marlins. Yeah. You're dealing with two different unlearned worlds. Right. Right? Like, that experience in and of itself, just the process of doing it, and at the time, I, I arguably, I would say it's the only selfish thing I had done in years, right? I yeah. mean, keep in mind, at the time, I'm a family man. I got kids. Right, right, right. You're holding it down. you holding it down. Wife, you're holding it doing down. Doing everything for everybody, all of my talents, everything that right. I hoped and dreamed for is now being... Applied right. to all these other avenues right. of my life. And it was just opportunity that just kind of struck me in a way that was like, you need to go on this trip. Mm. And that was a, the, the perpetual voice that I kept on hearing. Mm. You need this trip. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to figure it out. I'm yeah. going to do it. I went there by myself. I didn't have a friend who came wow. with me. By myself, I went down there with a, a, a dance company. I didn't know anybody yeah. who I was with. And I made lifelong friends down there. And I had an experience where I'm I'm building and, 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 and chilling and hanging out with all these different artists and dancers and, and what year was filmmakers. This? this was 2014. Wow. And it, it, cha- it literally changed my life. It reminded me of high school. It reminded me of being around creatives all the time. Yeah. It reminded me of college and just like that joy that I just feel yeah. just like vibrating with like-minded energy and spirits and the conversations we were having just about like trying to do your your craft and your art and being mm. passionate and mm-hmm. living your passion. And mm-hmm. so when I came back from Cuba, I came back as a different person. I literally had like, a, it was like a, yeah. almost a religious awakening yeah. out there in terms of my creativity, yeah. in terms Spark of who I yourself. was. So within a year of that, again, I quit my job. I mm-hmm. became a teaching artist. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I separated from my wife mm-hmm. and like everything was transitioning into the point where I was like, okay, now I'm doing my art. Right. Now I'm here. Right. So now that, that those opportunities presented themselves and I'm like, okay, I tell people all the time, it's like the the biggest test of a man's character is to get exactly what you've always asked for. Oh, man. Don't say that right now. I'm, up, I'm in the middle of a nasty transition, boy. I, I am in the midst of mayhem you, but every I, day. But, but I've been there. Now, you, know you, what I'm you saying? may tell me. Say that again one time. Say it again. The biggest test of a person's character is to get exactly everything you have always asked for. Mm. Right? It's you, you oh because we I, as human beings we make circumstances the reason why we are or not doing things. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, if I had a little bit more money. Oh, if I had a little bit more opportunity. Oh, if somebody just gave me a shot. All these things we make up these excuses as to why we're not living to our full potential. And then the universe finds a way to give you all those things. Boy, you just woke me the hell up. <laughs> you know you what I'm saying? You just woke me the hell up. I'm scared right now. You know what I'm saying? It's just like oh, 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 man. The, oh all you needed is that. That's all you needed here. <laughs> now what you gonna do? Exactly. What you gonna do now? Who are you? It's not even stop, what you're gonna do. It's who stop. are you? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Ready. So the universe kept on asking me time and again, "Who are you?" Mm. By giving me all these opportunities, and I said, "Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm going to show you." Yeah. 
I'm going to show you, like, because I'm recognizing it. And when you start recognizing those signs, and I started seeing everything that was unfolding in my life, ROTC, Today's right. Future Sound, doing, you know, all these different shows and 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 becoming a figure in, in the community yeah, and people starting real. to know me and my name buzzing. Yeah. That was like yeah. that was the universe showing yeah. me this is who you are. Like this, just this, just so I can be clear, like, you know. Unlearn the world rips mics for real, though. <laughs> like, and I'm not like, like we met in juvenile hall. Yes, you know what I'm saying. Yes, and like, that, just to be clear ago, for for the listeners out there, I wasn't in juvenile hall. I wasn't. Was <laughs> we met we as teaching artists yes. going to do a, a, a program in juvenile hall. Yes, we did. You know what I'm saying? And and um, I had known about you for years. People, and it was crazy because like there was something about you. I just remember when you came into the room, you know, that first area where you like sign in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, one, I already felt like I knew you. So I was like, mm. it's not like the usual dudes, you know what I'm saying? Right. And like, we just hit it off from the beat, you know totally. what I mean? Like, bang. And so, you know, but then like, there's been times like I went to, it might've been a far side show. Did you open for the far side? I did. I did. I, and I didn't know he was opening for the far side. I'm just like, <laughs> let me just like, that's my boy. And he was tearing it down. Ah, see, he I didn't even know you were at that show. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. Dog, I was there. I was there. <laughs> Shout out to Mike Brown. Shout out to the whole yeah. far side squiz on. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like you really ripped the stage. You did. Absolutely. You. I, and I appreciate like, that. Let me just be honest, man. Like I don't care about nobody, dog. I don't, I don't give props to nobody. You rip mics. I appreciate that's that. true. That, man. Coming coming from you, you I know it's no, real. I'm, because I'm not like, playing, you know, like you know what I'm saying? Like you <laughs> you rip mics. You rip Thank mics. You. Like I've I've seen him rip mics. I've seen him teach rowdy ass kids. Our <laughs> our our killers and robbers and dope dealers. And he commands their attention. He helps them open their own heart. He helps them share their truth on paper or in a room in complete vulnerability. And I've seen that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And so like I'm just letting you know. Just human being to human being that that um I appreciate the work you do. Thank Sincerely. You. Thank you. Sincerely. That means a lot for me. Because I see you, I see you, you do much. it, man. Like you're always doing the work. You know, there's some people that that, you know, they quarterback it from the house. There's some people that weekend warrior it. Like he's he's consistently there. Right. And that and that that's it goes with purpose, right? And that mm-hmm. that I, I have this amazing opportunity for me to to do this I feel like I've been given like a second chance at life in terms of like the my my transition into being a teaching artist and into doing all the things that I love doing the, all the things I've been telling myself to do since I was 13 years old right right I've been telling myself okay you're gonna be a teacher you're gonna be a rapper you're gonna be you know what I'm saying an, uh, uh, an activist you're gonna fight for you know for social causes mm-hmm. and that I have the opportunity to do all these things and I can pay my bills too that's all I needed you know what I'm saying? I didn't. I, I was never a kid who aspired to be. I mean, maybe I did. Maybe I wanted to be a millionaire by 17. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody. They, every 17 year old wants to be. Somebody. A yeah. Though. You know what I'm saying? You grow up in the society. Everybody wants to be a millionaire. But it got to a point where you know you become an adult. You go through experiences. And for me, my intention was like, yo, if I could pay my bills doing music, if I could pay my bills just just doing the, something that makes me happy, I'm cool. Like that's I'm cool. Yeah, I want more. But that's. That's I'm grateful for that opportunity because out of the 7.5 billion people that are running the earth right now, there aren't too many people like that. There aren't too many people who are literally in purpose and are tuned and tapped in to what they are supposed to be doing on this planet. And I believe that with with every fiber of my being, I believe that that's what I'm doing now is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. So 
the opportunities present themselves to do that. The energy that I'm I'm supposed to have is there. You know what I'm saying? I'm in my 30s. Like, so most 30-year-olds, they have different kinds of lives. And I live that life. I know what it is. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes they just don't have the energy to do what it is that I do. And I I, I, only, I always find myself like invigorated and, and, and fighting to, to get more hours in the day to continue to do the work that I do, whether it's like raising my sons or raising the other 5,000 children that I teach as children of my own, because it, you know, it's, it's all part of the process. Hey, really quick, man. I have to say to the listeners, I hope you really soaked in what he just said, right? Because how many of us bury that 13-year-old child, that 15-year-old child? How many of us bury that 21-year-old person with all the great ideas? Because, you know, look, man, you know, we all followed the system because the system was supposed to work and that's what we were taught, right? You go to school, you do this, you go to college, you do that, you know what I'm saying? And that whole time there's something in your heart telling you to do something. Now, if you're listening, I'm not telling you, like, drop everything you're doing and go pick up a mic, but maybe... (laughs) Right. I'm not telling you to drop everything you're doing and go back to architecture or designing clothes or the guitar or coding. But listen, like. If it's one thing that I've learned in the last year. With everything I've gone through, y'all already know. Like. It is such a waste of time to not be your most authentic self. Totally. Like it's the worst waste of time. Totally. And when I think of things like I, regret is not something that lives in my heart very often or for that long, but I do regret any second I reflect on not having been my authentic self, man. So totally. like, please make sure you embrace your authentic self. Yeah, it's, it's, it's important. It's, it's, it's important. It's, it's, it's part of this. It should be part of your self-care package. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I mean, even if yeah, even if you're you're confined to to do the desk job or whatever it is that you're doing in life, don't don't silence that 15 year old person mm-hmm. that you once were mm-hmm. that had all the ideas and all the hope in the world to change the world for a better place. Like that, yeah, that to never me lose that. was That's the a perpetual crime. thing, and that and that became the perpetual question that I was asking myself: like, is the 15 year old me happy? Is the 15 year old me happy? And, and now. I, I would like to think he is. I would like yeah. to think he's very proud of me, my fifteen-year-old yeah. self. You know what I'm saying? And you know, it it uh, it's not lost on me the unique nature of my life. And I think that it's it's all part of the process for me to to have that realization, and then for me to pursue what it is that I'm pursuing. So, what is the first thing you remember hip hop teaching you? Knowledge of self. Knowledge the, itself. the term itself and and all the many layers that it in, it in, it encompasses. And what was the right. first thing you remember that registered as knowledge itself? Um, I, I just remember it being like a being a Malcolm X term because one of my favorite movies ever is Malcolm X. For right? sure, Spike Lee. Spike Lee. You're the you know real MVP saying? for that one. I don't care, <laughs> I don't care where they ever acknowledge you, bruh. It was, X, it was Malcolm bro. X. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the Oscar he got right now in my brain yes, was for Malcolm yeah, exactly, X. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, bro. It was for Malcolm X. Long overdue. Um, but I just remember that term. And I remember like it just rang out to me mm-hmm. and echoed. And then I started hearing it in a lot of the hip hop music that I was into. You started hearing that mm-hmm. term. And, you know, I'm a, I'm, I, I tell everybody who has ears, like I'm a product of Nas. I'm a product of Wu-Tang. Psst. 
Um, you know what I'm saying? Like those are the artists that for me really gave me all the tools that I wanted as an MC. Shout out to the RZA, know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? The like, Jizzle, know what I mean? Yeah, and, and salute to them. They just have the Wu-Tang District. In, yeah, Wu-Tang District. Staten Island. Staten, that's, that's, amazing, that's an amazing thing. But like that, those those two entities, right, in, in, in and of themselves reflected a lot of what appealed to me as a, as a, as a kid watching the movie Malcolm X and totally. learning about Malcolm X and learning in reading the autobiography, you know what I'm saying? Like that. Dude, I, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X because of uh, Bring the Noise. Oh. Too Black, Too Strong. Yeah. I knew I had heard it and my father had the records. I was like, Dad, where's this from? Where's this from? He's like, Oh, that's Malcolm X. It's downstairs. So I ended up listening to the wow. whole record, list, trying to just find Too Black, Too Strong. Right. And then I was like, Oh, this dude's deep. And then that, <laughs> and then that made me. So I think I listened to Message to the Grassroots, and then I had to listen to Ballots or Bullets, and then I'm like, I need the autobiography. Yeah. And then exactly. my life has changed forever. Yeah. No, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X when I was in sixth grade because it was the same year mm -hmm. that the movie came out. Mm -hmm. But we read the book, and then we saw the movie, mm -hmm. and I, I, you know, I saw the the parallels. Right. Right. I, it just it, it just it was it was to me the autobiography of Malcolm X is like the Illmatic. <laughs> Boy, now that's uh, you know what I'm right is, is the hip hop. The, the the autobiography of Malcolm X is to the mind of the young black man stepping into consciousness, mm. in my opinion, or mm. stepping into like social no, it's political consciousness. consciousness. Yeah, it's you know what I'm saying. Sure. Well, I mean, when we say consciousness, we can mean spiritual consciousness. Yeah, yeah. We can mean just political and all social of consciousness. consciousness. All of that, all of the things, all of the <laughs> things. You know what I'm saying? All of that wokeness. Yes, bro. <laughs> no, that's hella real. You know what's crazy, bro? I've never ever told this story. When Exclusive. I saw the autobiography of Malcolm X, I mean uh, the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rodney King sat in the front row. You understand me? What? And Alice Walker sat to my left. I was at a special screening. What? At 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 the Grand Lake Damn. Theater. At the Grand Lake Theater. Okay, Rodney King is in the front row. You know how it starts? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro, fam. That is like the best story I've ever heard ever. No, That's it gets like better. Incredible. I think it gets better. Oh my God. So I'm sitting there and and Joe Marshall from Street Soldiers is sitting to my right. Okay. So me and him know each other like Now, I didn't know Alice Walker. I knew who she was, obviously, but I had never read any of her books. Right, 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 right. But I had just read an article in Essence magazine about her. So we're kind of like, oh, how you doing? Oh, hey, what's up, Joe? Yeah, Alice Walker. I was like, oh, yeah, you know? And then I was like, yeah, you know... Um, I just read that article about you and, you know, Essence. And she was like, oh, okay, you know, da, da, da. And then I shouldn't have said this. But I said, yeah, you know, like, I I, I still haven't read any of your work yet, but I'm I'm excited about reading it. And, like, her face was like, get away from me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like, she was like, get away from me, bro. And then, wow. like, every time I tried to talk to her after that, she was kind of like. You got uh, curved by Alice Walker, yeah, bro? faded. Okay. <laughs> but then it gets better. So. Before they show, they're like, by the way, everybody, you know, Rodney King's in the front row and he like stands up. And I was like, oh my God, like. That's incredible. Because I went to LA the day after the first riots. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. like, I was, dude, remind me to tell you the story of me, Crazy Legs, and Alex Aquino and some other dudes going to LA like during the LA riots and Q That's and Mike crazy. and Apollo. <laughs> All right? All right? Remind me to I tell will. you that yeah, story. Yeah, I will remind you to tell me that story. <laughs> so. They're showing the flip. So so Rodney King, boom. So right when the movie starts, you see him getting beat, and I start crying. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, and he's he's right there. He's like right he's there. watching his own beating, man. That's right. Real. And you're hearing Malcolm on top of that visual. It yeah, was just too much. It, yeah. Right. 
But then the other thing is, even when you watch the movie, you already know how it ends. And right. you know how it ends. But, but see, then it happens. Fun fact. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. not to interrupt jump in, jump you. Fun in. fact. I grew up two blocks away from the Autobahn. Unbelievable. So when I saw it, it was my neighborhood that I'm looking at while I'm watching the movie. I'm like, this is my, that's my neighborhood. Like, that's yeah. my hood. I know that block. Yeah. Like, and I had never known what that building was because up to that point, it, 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 was, it, pretty, it was run down. Ass. It was yeah, beat yeah. up. You know what I mean? So I had never known what that building was. And when I used to ask people, they were like, oh, it used to be a club. Yeah. Used to be, I didn't and know it like, was the club. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know it was the club that Malcolm X died. Like, are you yeah. serious? Like, oh, no one wants to tell me that? Yeah, like, y'all just really? Me that part out? Word? Y'all dead at? Like, yo, come on. So, like, dude, we're yeah. watching it. We we know the end's coming. We're like holding hands, clutching. <laughs> and by the time the movie's over, we're all crying together. Yeah. And I'm like, I cannot believe I am crying with Alice Walker <laughs> and Joe Marshall. Yeah, that's. <laughs> You know Just, what I'm saying? Um, yeah. Was, yeah. In Oakland, bro. That's crazy. Yeah, that that's that's an amazing story. That was nuts. Now, it's funny that you mention Malcolm X and everything else because this is the perfect segue into what I want to talk about, which okay. is that it's Ramadan. Yes. And you know what I'm saying? Peace to the Muslims mm-hmm. all over the world who are fasting and uh, many blessings to you. I hope that it's going well and I hope that your wisdom is on point. I hope that your mercy is on point. I hope that you're embracing your truest self. I hope that the, that you're reading hadiths that enrich you and and encourage you to be a better human being for yourself and your family and your community. You know, and obviously, you know, uh, hopefully, bringing you closer to 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 the Creator. You know, um, indeed, indeed. There's no way. Eh, I almost said there's no way I would have been Muslim without. Without hip hop, but but the truth is, my dad had already played Malcolm X records for me when I was a kid. When I heard hip hop, hip hop reminded me uh-huh. to look back into Islam. Right. Like a lot of people just never knew it existed. Period. But I I was raised as as a Christian, and I was I was a, I was you know a practicing Christian. I went to Roger Williams uh, Academy in South South Central in South San Francisco, uh-huh. uh, and, and it's it's a great school. You know, I, I I learned under Pastor Larson, and he gave me my first Bible, which I still have and I still study. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Um, and my father was teaching me about Malcolm X back then. Right. But if it's not for Bring the Noise, if it's not for Public Enemy, right? Like. That moment and those records are almost meaningless. The only other thing is, my father also took me to Spain when I was nine, Ooh. and we were we were on top of King Ferdinand's castle, and he pointed across the isthmus to uh, probably what was Morocco. And I remember him saying, "You see that, son?" He was like, "That's home." He was like, "That's home." And then when wow. we went to the when we went to the Alhambra, mm-hmm. we were with a tour group, and he pulled me aside so we could walk away from the tour group. And he pointed. He said, "You see everything you see?" And I was like, "Yeah." He goes, "Black men and women built this." And I was like, "Really?" And he was like, "Yeah." Mm-hmm. So yeah. then, when you hear Public Enemy, you know, ten years later. That's it, gonna it, it just like watered all those seeds for it me. Starts connecting that led to me reading, yeah. you know, the autobiography, and that led me uh, coming to Islam. Um, I know you're Muslim. What was your yeah. particular journey? It, it's it's a very interesting journey, and I'm, I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity even to to tell it. Like you know, what I'm saying so. Like I grew up raised by a white Jewish woman. Right, my mm-hmm. parents are Dominican. When they got to this country, shortly after they split up. I lived with my father. My father was shacked up with this woman. They split up. Mm-hmm. 
I, for whatever reason or other, ended up living with this woman. This mm. woman was white and Jewish and raised me until I was about 13 years old. Wow. So the entire time I'm from the from a child to 13 years old, I grow up understanding and, and learning about, you know, the Jewish holidays mm-hmm. and celebrating them and going to synagogue and wow. and, and all of that. I was never bar mitzvahed. Right, you know what right. I'm saying? But I, I, I had a- You were a, steeped in the culture. Yeah, I was sure. steeped in the culture, you know, but I always kind of felt like the odd person out because I'm literally the only black kid in synagogue, right? right? that makes sense. And I'm always the, the, the oddity. And I remember mm. going to like Hebrew school and little girls calling me phony or fake mm. Jew or like, you're not really Jewish, are you? Like, why? Why? Because mm. I'm black? Is that- Right. So there was always this really weird consciousness with me because I wasn't in touch with my Dominican heritage. Mm. I'm obviously black by any mm-hmm. physical- right. Appear, you know, my physical appearance. People, y'all can't see him, but me. I know he's black. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But people identify me as black, and they 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 treat me as such of in course. certain instances. And I'm being raised around these, you know, white people and and, and Jewish people. So I, it, it was actually my foyer into rapping because I needed to find a way to make sense of the my circumstances. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And to, and to make sense of all of that. Um, but then, kind of like getting into hip hop and then getting into just black culture and getting into like just black and brown people in general, like when I was in junior high school and mm-hmm. high school and all of that kind of changed things for me. It just, mm-hmm. it changed, but it was only about the story between my, my conversion and, and it, my conversion story is rooted in hip hop because it's, if it's not for hip hop and if it's not for me reading books in order to find better words to yeah. rhyme yeah, and to come up, have an extensive vocabulary in order yeah. to write my raps. I'm reading books on spirituality and religion mm-hmm. and I'm reading books on politics mm-hmm. and all of the and magic and all of these different like mystical ideas and philosophy and all of that. And, but at the same time, I just had moved out of the, the woman who raised me. I moved out of her house. I, okay. you know, she was doing, having a lot of, Marital problems with So what her. year was this? This is 1995, 1995, okay. 1994, 1995. Um, you know, so she's having a lot of problems with her her husband, my stepdad, mm. and it was causing a lot of tribulation in the household. And I'm I'm fighting a lot in school and I'm jumping kids, I'm getting jumped. I'm, mm. There's a lot of going on in my life as a 13-year-old kid. And at the rain around the same time, I'm starting to write my raps down, I'm starting to really get into mm. hip hop. You know, um, I did some martial arts, but I wasn't into martial arts anymore because I was in the girls. And that happens. That happens. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I was like, you know. It's all about Kung yeah, Fu. Yeah, yeah. Forget you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Facts. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, you know. You know, so I, I, I depart from all of those things and I'm trying to figure out like my, my, my next move because I, I, I leave her house and we, we lived in, in, in New Jersey for a little bit. We moved, we lived in New York, then we moved to New Jersey for about two years. Mm-hmm. And in New, in New Jersey, I'm having all these problems. So mm-hmm. I wanted to move back home. I wanted mm-hmm. to move back to New York. So mm-hmm. I live, I go back and live with my mom. Mm-hmm. And the narrative in the neighborhood, because everybody's like, And this oh, is Manhattan. This is Manhattan, right? And the narrative, and people know, the people in my neighborhood who I grew up with, know, oh, I just, oh, you left Debbie. That, you know, right. that was my, so, oh, you left her house to come back here to the hood? Like, right. why would why? you, why would you do that? You're going to end up like dead or shot mm-hmm. or killed or in jail like the rest of these other mm-hmm. kids out there. So it was, for me, it was, it was a motivation for me to show people that, this was not in vain. Like, mm. That I, I needed to prove yeah. to these people that I'm not here just to be some thug like mm. everybody else. Yeah, you trying you know to know what I really mean. So I'm trying to be as go. intelligent as possible, as talented as possible. Part of that was learning my raps and or learning how to write raps and 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 having an extensive vocabulary and reading all these books. And in reading all these books, 
I'm I'm starting to to change my my outlook on the world. What books were you reading? Like just um, like four arguments in the elimination of television. Uh, what else was I reading? It was a lot of conspiracy conspiracy yeah. theory books. Yeah, yeah, behold a pale horse. Yeah, all of those books. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like just some of the that, those are some of that that stand out for me. Freemason, like oh yeah, all those books. But then I was also reading books on philosophy and like Socrates and Plato yeah. and yeah. you know all of these books. And then I. I my my brother who's Muslim was giving me books towards understanding Islam. Was he Muslim then? Yes, he, he was. was Muslim then. And was he Muslim for a long time? Was he no, he had been Muslim it? maybe for a year or two. You okay. know, and 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 you know, it wasn't anything that I was like really like you know. It, we kind of like joked on him, like in the same way that people joke on the socially conscious brother yeah, and the crew. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was like my my brother yeah. was like I was know. that guy. In my <laughs> exactly. So like he started giving me books on like that, and then I started getting into comparative religion and started reading like the Bible, and then started reading like Quranic passages, and then it started just becoming this like quest for knowledge, mm. and the the quest for knowledge was with the intent of changing who I was mm. and wanting to be a better person, and it wasn't until I saw a lecture by Hamza Youssef. Hamza Yusuf from Zaytuna College. Hamza Yusuf. <laughs> Hamza Yusuf from Zaytuna College. Hamza Yusuf. And to be honest, he's amazing. Yeah, and I don't. I don't. To be honest with you, I don't even remember what the lecture was. I just remember watching it. He was in the zone, and I was fourteen. I remember being. I was. It was a little bit right before my fifteenth birthday. I'm mm-hmm. watching this, and I had never saw a human being like that. He was. I he never. Was like, s- yeah. Hey, Hamza Yusuf is like <laughs> the Rakim of Hutbus. <laughs> For, like. <laughs> Like yo, but it he's was like just the rock like him of hood was man. I don't know a, him or Imam Zayn. It depends on the day of the week you catch. Right, him. and it was it was it, but it but was that's that. still like rock him and Nas doing a track. Totally, you know totally, one hundred percent. But like it was it was, and his story's compelling. He converted to Islam in seventeen, and like he yeah. went to the Muslim world and just and I, I I was like that's interesting. And then just his presence, mm. you know what I mean? Like I saw what it is that I wanted to be. I saw that transition. I saw. The same thing that I saw at the end of Malcolm X when he goes to Mecca, to Mecca and comes back with the beard and yeah. and and, and the, just the the gentleness, right? Mm. And I'm not even just talking about the Denzel version of Malcolm. I'm right, talking, talking about, about like the having man, read, though. having saw the speeches and read the I I'm seeing that right because for, be, before that it was all theory mm. that you could just transition. Before that, it's just this story in your head. Oh yeah, mm. this. Malcolm X dude was a pimp and a drug mm-hmm. dealer and he became this like righteous person like that it's all a story mm-hmm. in my brain no different than like knowing the ark it's not that real for me this was real this was a human being who I'm seeing and I'm just seeing his demeanor and I said whatever gave that man that demeanor and that presence that what we call in Arabic that is like that mm-hmm. that I get some? that pride but not arrogant yeah. pride just like pride like mm-hmm. the way a lion is prideful mm-hmm. Right? I said, that's what I want. And if it's Islam, then that's what I... And sure enough, I went to the 96th Street Mosque, January 8th, 1997, and I took my Shahada. And it was it was funny because the guy who is in Malcolm X doing the Adhan mm-hmm. is the one who gave me my Shahada. Don't make me cry here, bro. <laughs> Don't make me cry here. That, you because see, when you I see. saw Malcolm X you know I mean? and I saw him doing the Adhan, I almost... I, no, I, that, I cried alone in that section. Yeah. I cried. That's... And if I watch Malcolm X anytime... I may cry 
when the Adon gets called. It's it's so it was like one of those full circle moments for me because my intro into understanding or even having an awareness of Islam or consciousness comes from Malcolm X, reinforced by books my brother gave right. me. I'm watching this lecture when I'm 14 years old on a Friday night. Right. Right. <laughs> when all my friends are like, yo, Out you coming outside? Right. Like, yo, what's going on? Nah, I'm getting this knowledge. That's right. literally what I yeah. told them. I'm getting this knowledge. Hang up the phone. Yeah. I'm watching this and that changed my brain. And I just, I converted it. Islam and but now, hold on, you said shahada for listeners who don't know what shahada is. What does it mean that you took your shahada? It is it is shahada is is to witness, to bear witness that there is only one God and that the Prophet Muhammad is his final messenger of all the messengers of the biblical and Quranic times. So yeah, we're horror. talking about yeah. Noah, Moses, Jesus, all of them, right? Yeah. Muhammad being the last messenger of all of them to culminate mm. the message of Islam, which is to be in surrender to the all-knowing and to the supreme being, right? Yeah. And I had already had some level of God consciousness. I had a, you know, I had a, I had a really hyper-religious grandmother who's hyper-Christian. Right. I went to synagogue and I said, right. you know, so I knew God. Mm. I just wasn't like practicing. I wasn't mm. praying mm-hmm. or anything, but this was a moment where I said, this is what I want. This is what's going to help me make that transition from rough around the edges kid to intellectual, which is what I wanted. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I wanted. I wanted to have that level of like prestige of being smart and intelligent and not just a hoodlum in the street. You know what I mean? And it, it, Sure, it did. It changed everything. But man, then- <laughs> you know, it's it's deep, man. You know, so yeah, you know, the Shahada is a declaration of faith. That's always like a major day. That's always something that I don't think any... And it was the day before Ramadan. Ramadan. Wow. That's heavy. <laughs> and it was the day before Ramadan. Like literally, I, I took I was- Shahada right before Ramadan too. Yeah. It was like a week or two before Okay, Ramadan, yeah. You know, I, I got to say like... um. Oh, and the Adan is the call to prayer. Yes. You were listening to us go back and forth about the Adan. The Adan is the call to prayer. It's it's what you hear before Muslims pray. Now, um, what's the first memory you have in hip hop that was influenced by Islam? Uh, that's a good question. Because for me, it's it's the bring the noise. But when I really go back, it actually mm-hmm. goes back to Eric B. and Rakim. Right. Right? And yeah. so, like, for me, a lot of my Islamic knowledge came out of pursuit of just understanding rap lyrics. Right? Word. So, like, he's talking about Mecca. Where is that? Medina. Where is that? Right, right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. New Jerusalem. Where is that? Yeah. You know what I mean? And then, well, where is the first Jerusalem? And then, you know what I'm saying? You start going back and forth. And so... Although Bring the Noise is like this flashpoint, you know, there's other stuff. Totally. No, there's, there's, know, there's a lot of different- Poor Righteous Teachers. Poor Righteous I mean, for me, it was Wu-Tang. And Wu-Tang, you know, they, they, they were five percenters. And like at the time, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm deep in my Islam. Mm-hmm. So five percenters to me are like, no, we can't yeah. have those. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And I had my, my debates and my conversations with five percenters in high school. I was but at the same time, they, they rip mics harder than anybody else. They do. So just so you guys understand, 5%, you have the Nation of Islam, and you have Al-Islam, or Sunni Islam, right? Those are the main three Islamic groups that have impacted hip-hop. And you have to know that in my perspective, there is no other religion that has impacted 100%. rap music like Islam. Like nothing, nothing, nothing. One 
hundred percent. I'm actually, I actually I wanted to either do a documentary or a book to, yeah. to document yeah. that kind like, of the, the, you the know influence. what you gotta understand is this if someone starts rapping about Jesus in hip hop, what do they call that? They call it Christian rap. If someone comes in and is like, oh, we're gonna let this dude rap about Buddhism, you know, you would obviously say it was Buddhist rap. But anytime somebody gets on the mic and says Allah, Muhammad, you know what I'm saying, Mecca, Medina, Drew, whatever, it's just hip hop. It's <laughs> totally. just hip hop. Like no one says it's like Muslim rap. Like Muslim rap is is a subgenre uh of of rap that's made specifically for people who are already Muslim. Right. You know what I'm saying? But you know, the five percent the Nation of Islam influence on different rappers from Chuck D to to Wu Tang, poor righteous I mean, teachers. On, I mean, we said them all. Serious, we said dude. them all. Intelligent hoodlum. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Um, brand, brand Nubian. Nubian. <laughs> um, brand Nubian had the call of prayer in in yeah. one of their songs. Yeah, the, like, Don. Yeah, listen yeah, to Allahu Akbar by Brand Nubian. And let me tell you, if you really want to get freaked out, watch that video. It used to play on MTV all the time. That video yeah. was off the chain. You know what I mean? But I, I think just in, in terms of New York, and, and this is this this speaks to like my 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 experience in New York, right? Yeah. Hip hop comes in the 70s. And it comes at a time where in New York in particular, but I think black America as a whole, mm. we're stepping away from the political organization, the mm-hmm. po- you know, the politicism, the Black Panther Party mm-hmm. and the US organization. Mm-hmm. We're moving away from that. This is the 70s, right? We they've already assassinated or imprisoned our leaders. We're yeah. kind of moving away into these more socio-spiritual movements. Mm. So in New York in particular, what you're now getting is this like fervor, this new wave of interest in, you know, black nationalism, be mm-hmm. it nation of Islam or the nations of gods and earths. Or the, or, or the more science the temple. The more science temple. That was gonna be the next one. You know what I'm saying? Or Malachi Z York Come and whatever. On, man. You know what I'm saying? Like all so all of these social spiritual movements are taking place and are moving and are thriving in New York City. Hip hop comes in the midst of all of this, and yeah. and and with the help of of Zulu Nation, yep. right? Zulu Nation tries to create or tries to, on one level or another, use hip hop as a socio spiritual movement, yeah, right, to incorporate and encompass all these other things to say like this is the this is the place where we're going to congregate and we're going to make this jam this party the the vehicle for us to be recipients of divine guidance that's what that that's what it in whatever form you know what i'm saying in whatever form but that, you know that now you know for the record man like i i i the one thing that blew my mind when i came into zulu nation was was the beginning of the infinity lessons uh-huh. and it said you know the zulu amazulu do not fight over the name that God has called upon. You know what I'm saying? And that was such a huge thing. Right. You know what I mean? Is it Allah or is it Jesus? It was oh, it yeah, Yahweh yeah, yeah. or Amin Ra. Right. And I was like, yo, do not fight over whatever people call God by. Like that was like a mind-blowing right. thing for me, man. That was like a mind-blowing thing for me. And that's why I get so sad that Bam turned out to be such a shitbag. Yeah, it, it's, it's it's a really unfortunate situation. <laughs> Because it, it was, you know, it, it just going so back, going full circle bro. back to Malcolm X is like we had the, one of the greatest organizations a black man has ever seen. Niggas ruined, niggas ruined it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, know what I'm saying? saying? That's the, but that's exactly that's what you know. You, you know, 
it's one of those things where you 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 got to try to separate men from the the movement in and of itself and what the intent of the movement was. But you know, hip hop comes at a time that all these social spiritual movements is and we're I would, evolving. I fast. Would, yeah, and I would submit and argue that hip hop was being used as a socio spiritual movement just as much as it was being used as a social justice movement for sure. As a as a as a cultural phenomenon in and of itself. We're not talking about a genre of music, right? And let's be clear to our very sophisticated audience, right? We're not just talking about the genre of music that has become hip-hop because up until 79 hip-hop is literally just a party in the bronx it's not a genre of music you can't turn it on you can't turn on wild 94 whatever and mm-hmm. listen to hip-hop back in 1975 you gotta find it you gotta hunt it down you gotta literally look through the streets of new york and try to find a party right but that up until that first rap record that's how hip-hop is existing and it's existing in this format and in this way that's carrying all this consciousness with it so to to, to answer your original question because i think we digressed mm. right for me it was just like it was wu-tang it was just like listening to wu-tang albums mm. and like trying to trying to get a sense of like you know always hearing about the quran right always mm. hearing like you know what i'm saying like you know Always hearing about the Quran, but the album that years later, the album that really kind of like f- was the Miseducation album, because there are a lot of Islamic yeah, references. Yeah, there are some, there's some the, under vibes. You know what I'm she goes, that I make salat like a Sunni. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm right. saying? All my people, don't forget about the Dean, the Sarat, the Musta yeah, King. I'm like, oh my, what? What's going on here? I forgot those You know what I mean? Like, yo. I was like, yo. And she's talking about the final hour. Man, come on, You know what I mean? Son. I was like, come on, yo. Like, she was she, one of the baddest to ever do real, it. For real. For real. Like, I know people be like, she only had one album. But, like, yeah, it's it like was probably, a hell of an album, it's, it's, though. It's I mean, arguably on, one man. of the top 100 albums of the of the 20th century. Dude, so get out of here. Don't give me anything. Ridiculous. Yeah. Skill. So there were a lot of Islamic references, and that album in and of itself, in my opinion, when you just look at the musical landscape of the time, gives wave to the neo soul movement. Mm. If it's not for miseducation, you're not getting the music soul child. You know, the Roots don't win a Grammy if it's not for the mm. miseducation album. That's you know hella real. She was kind of like common, the like water for chocolate. Son. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Common, like water for chocolate. Like she changed changed the sonic landscape of hip hop and the music industry and what the music industry was looking from for hip hop for. for yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean it, it, then it then changed back to a bunch of gangster shit. But like yeah, 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 it, yeah, before yeah. that yeah. it was it was like for a minute it was all head raps and, and, and consciousness and incense, and, incense and all of that and that's rooted in 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 in, in a lot of Islamic influence. So like that was the album that for me made it like cool to talk about Islamic things and talk about talk about being Muslim and mm. you know and that that's the album that had me going to downtown New York and going to House Anubian mm-hmm. in the village and and buying books mm-hmm. and you know and, and getting my incense and getting my oils. Yeah, and, boy, gotta you know, get that Frankie yeah, you know little get, love myrrh, boy. Little, yeah, right on the wrist, boy. With that Egyptian musk or you know, the black soap, all that. Hey, all the- hey, do you remember they used to have this one scent? I still look for it, bruh. It was called uh, uh, it was called like Moorish Soldier, but it was clear. It was nah, clear, nah, bro. Nah. Moorish Soldier, Moorish Warrior. You no Moorish Knights. Oh, okay. I remember seeing. That. I never. This I never one dude wore. who was a noble Drawali cat. He used to always have like you know out here on the west, bro. He had the gray, perfectly creased khakis, bro. <laughs> he had this white kufi with 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 red edge. It had a red crescent. Uh, on the top and he always he had like it was like the Dickies top and bottom but he always had him perfectly creased and he always had Moorish Knights and then like when he disappeared don't know what happened to him (laughs) 
when he disappeared, I couldn't find it. Then once I found one Arab dude, I said, hey, you got Moorish Nights? And he was like, no, I have Arabian Nights. And it was a clear bottle. I was like, you thief. thief. Yeah, I was like, all right. I bought one yeah. for you. I never smelled that sense again. Oh, uh, yeah. You got to understand, in Islam, the oil game, the that's oil like game, the oil bro. game, boy. Like, you can't, you know what I'm saying? Like, I got oils the that I take to, you know how, like, man. if you were a DJ back in the day, you had a record, you know, you would, like, scrub the center so nobody could know what it was. I do that with oils, bro. Like, yeah, you, get you take off the oils, take- bro, you cannot, I ain't letting you know what this is. Nah, like, don't worry you know about what it. I mean? Yeah, and sometimes they were mixing. Yeah. Same thing with the incense. There was this one dude on West A Street in New York City who used to have these like literally the two foot long incense you could burn yeah. them for five minutes your house would smell good for five hours you know what I mean and he would tell me I mean I don't even you know he, he could have been lying to me he was like oh no I dip this in flowers and I I, yeah. I, I mush the flowers up yeah. and I'm whatever you just getting them wholesale yeah exactly cool whatever your story you was I was from the Indian dude I'm that's fine and I, you know, but it, it was a thing. But all of those things, like we're, we're talking about all these things, like, you know, the selling of the oils and the incense and all of that comes from this Islamic influence. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And like, that's, I, I don't think people are aware of that. People aren't aware that the fact that we say peace in hip hop comes from Islam. Comes from bro. Islam. You know what I'm saying? Like that comes is from the 100, 5%, yeah, man, doing from, it. Just you saying know, peace. It, here's one of the things that I really think that Islam does not get enough props for in hip hop. And that is the altering of the diet, not eating. Oh yeah, pork. I mean you know a lot of dudes live, stop yeah. drinking. You know the uh, like I would say like how to eat to live by the honorable Elijah Muhammad is probably the biggest one of the biggest books in hip hop that people read that changed them totally. You know what I'm saying? One hundred percent. And you look at like um, when you look at like Nation of Islam MCs. And then when you look at KRS-One, who isn't Muslim, but there was like this phase, I felt like he was almost 5%-ish on uh, sex and violence. Hmm. He was very, he was very 5%-ish on, on sex and violence. And, um, you know, all the stuff that he brought about diet, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And things like that. Like, I remember... People saying like, oh, I don't eat pork no more. Cause cause you know, cause because public enemy said they don't eat pork. Cause Ice Cube, remember? After Death Certificate. Yeah. You know, the Death Certificate album is a huge album that's highly impacted by Islam. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, man, like Yeah, I mean, just the golden era, and I mean, you don't get uh uh, you know, what's the collective I'm thinking of? You know exactly who I'm talking about. Not Zulu, it's the offshoot of Zulu, like oh, you know, what I'm saying Jungle Brothers. Oh, the, the Native Quest. Tongues. Native Tongues. Thank you. You know yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. don't get Native Tongues without that that level Ooh, of that, that not at all Islamic influence. You yeah. know what I'm saying. And like, you know what I'm yeah, but just it's, it's a lot of little things in in hip hop culture that we just take for granted that, that really do come from Islam. That come real, from Islam. whether it's five percent NOI or or Al Islam, like it really does come from that. You know what I mean? Right. And it's really deep. The more that I look into it, because like you know, like. All of the DJs, if you're a battle DJ, you, from my era, the main record that you used was It's Time, It's Time, It's, It's, It's. What is the name of that song? Al Nafs. Pop quiz. Oh, see? Al Nafs. By Hashim. That's crazy. You know, you know what I'm saying? saying? The Nas. soul. Nas. You know what I'm saying? With yeah. the rapper Nas. Yes. The you know Nas. what I'm saying? So it's like, whether you go all the way back, right? And like, if you talk to a DJ, you don't say Al Naf. You say, hey, you got Al Naf-ish? That's what they call it. Uh, 
Interesting. That's it. Right? But it's Al Nafs. So you have to, like, if you're talking about Islam and hip hop, right? Because some people are like, well, maybe you're just talking about rap music. No, bruh. The DJ. Yeah. Right? And how many people danced to, 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 to Hashim's Al Nafish? Right. Like forever. Right. B-Boys danced to that. Exactly. Right? And they're not really paying attention that his name is Hashim. And they're not really paying attention to this thing is called the soul. And it's not written in, in, in English. It's in Arabic. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not paying attention. But this is how deep Islam impacts hip hop. You can say, oh, well, okay, that's one DJ. And that's, you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, a, few, a few rap verses. Bro, listen to what I am telling you. <laughs> pop master fable. There we Muslim. Go. There you go. Okay. Yeah. It just, you know. I remember seeing pictures of him like. Popping in his thobe, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it's goofy. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like, I remember that. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to Fable, man. Much love to Fable forever. You know it's just saying? it's Chris it's KC it's an amazing, it's an amazing influence. And then and circling back all the way back to like my hip hop education work, right? I approach my hip hop education work with a, a with like the, a, a religious scholar lens. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And 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 I and I take cues from People like Zaid Shacker and mm-hmm. and Siraj Wahaj and mm-hmm. all these like intellectual giants that mm-hmm. I used to go to their khutbas and I used to watch their lectures on mm-hmm. YouTube or listen to their tapes. Shout out to Imam Zaid. You know what I mean? Man, if you look, if you don't know who Imam Zaid Shacker is, go on YouTube right now and just put in Zaid Shacker and um Bill Moyers. Zaid Shacker, Bill Moyers. After that, watch whatever you want. But understand his story. Right. You know, to me, Zaid Shacker is like manifested promise of Malcolm X. You know, like when you look at like people who are civilized, good human beings, help the community, personable, like not, you know what I mean? They're not untouchable. Man. Man, and charismatic and approach, you know, yeah, and approachable, man. and that's that's the thing. Is is you know, so I, I'm I'm as a, as an educator, I'm taking my cues from the Islamic intellectual world. Yeah, you know what I mean. Starting with Malcolm X, all the way into Hamza Yusuf and all the other mm-hmm. individuals mm-hmm. we just mentioned, right? And 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 that's the approach that I'm giving. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying to to the to the work I'm doing, and like you know, and I you know this this earth, coming this fall, I'm I'm gonna be. Uh, uh, what you call it, uh, adjunct professor at Holy Names University doing a seven-week hip-hop, seven-week hip-hop class. Thank you. You know, but the reason why is because I had done a lecture there, Mm -hmm. right, on hip-hop and Mm -hmm. I'm just doing it the way that I do it. Mm -hmm. But I'm doing, I'm doing it the way that I typically do it having all of these giants in my brain. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's that, and and, and it's with that conviction and I approach hip-hop all aspects of it, whether I'm teaching it or I'm on stage yeah. and I'm approaching it with a spiritual conviction. I'm mm-hmm. approaching it with a spiritual intent. You're bringing your full heart to Totally. You know what I'm saying? And I've been told in moments where you're like, yo, or, like you, you, I felt like I was in church watching your show. Yeah. People, you know what I'm a lot of times when I talk, people will be like, because I really don't talk about my Islam very much. Like, right. This is a very unique show. And even though people know, I've been writing about Islam and hip hop since way back. You right. know that. You can Google that. <laughs> I'm not new to this topic. Do I'm a you pioneer. Yeah, I really am one of the one of the early writers about Islam and hip hop. Right. All right. But you know, like at the end of the day, like when I sit back and I think about anything that I'm doing right now, like this very show does not exist without Islam in my life. Right. It just it doesn't. And I know that that may be hard for people to understand, but you know, I was at such a lost place 
when I came into Islam, mm. right? I started reading because of Malcolm X. So if I ever talk to you about Socrates, you hear me talk to you about Taoism, you hear, it's all because Malcolm X told me to read <laughs> and that I could be intelligent. Right. And that, and, and, that, and, that's, I mean? and I think it just comes from the desire of wanting to be better. Like yeah. I think my entire intellectual pursuit comes from wanting to be, being a 13 year old kid, wanting to prove people that, that I wasn't a hoodlum. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That I, I didn't want to be the kid who was getting searched in front of the entire neighborhood mm -hmm. by the cops. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be the one stopped and frisked and then have that be my legacy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I wanted something more. So my entire intellectual and spiritual pursuit comes out of wanting to be a better person. Mm -hmm. And my pursuit towards hip hop came from wanting to be a better person. So now as an educator, I I, I always tell people I have, I have a debt to pay back to that 15 year old me, mm -hmm. right? In terms of- Why do you think that is? You keep talking about the 15-year-old you. And so I'm thinking about the 15-year-old me in a lot of respects. But then I'm just asking myself, what do we owe him? Like, why do we have to do what he says? <laughs> for me, it's because the 15-year-old me set the standard for what it is that I'm living today. And the joy. And the joy that I feel. You know what I'm saying? The 15-year-old So it's not so much me, the age, but the purity of the speech yeah, itself. The 15-year-old the me was the one who, who was... Who was gathering my friends and saying hey we're gonna try to create a record label and you're gonna rap and I'm gonna teach you how to rap mm -hmm. and 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 you're gonna you, be the DJ you, your bars like this and me having conversations with my brother on what I should rap about and spirituality and reading books and meditating mm -hmm. and praying and fasting and then going to hip hop shows mm -hmm. and and doing all of those things right like that that was the 15 year old me telling me that that was the 15 year old me is the one who converts to Islam mm -hmm. who makes that decision mm -hmm. you know so I, I always say that that's that's the person I'm always trying to appease in one way or another and I'm doing that with the life that I'm living now and That's I'm doing deep. that by taking those 15 year old kids that I'm seeing in my classes and the, the younger ones and I'm trying to give them game mm -hmm. that I've accumulated in my experience and in my life for them to even if they want to be a plumber after they yeah. get out of college or high school whatever the case it don't is matter. to approach it with a level of passion and vigor and creativity that they wouldn't have been exposed to had they not been exposed to hip hop had they not been exposed to being creative or mm -hmm. beat making or whatever the case and what do you teach when you're in a juvenile hall? Just for the just just so our listeners are clear, what are you teaching? You I'm teaching. teaching how to rap I'm teaching, teaching beat making and songwriting. I'm teaching. Here's how you make a beat, just on a technical sense. But mm -hmm. I understand the practical sense of it. Mm -hmm. When you leave here, you ain't gonna have access to a thousand dollar equipment. Mm -hmm. So what are we go? How how are we gonna be able to apply these skills? outside mm. on the outs as they say right so then it comes into the rhyme writing and the rapping and it's all of that and it, it's finding that therapeutic release and just getting them to kind of just like empty out their vessel you know what I mean because they, they have a lot of stuff that they just want to get out and a lot of it is violence a lot of it is rage it's anger it's this it's that a lot of it is projection of what they think rap should sound like based on the you know the what they've multi always heard billion dollar machine right. that's giving you hyper violence hyper misogyny sexuality and all of these different things and once they kind of exhaust it hmm. Then you start getting the real mm -hmm, mm -hmm. existential mm -hmm. verses that they're and they're mm -hmm. they're writing it. I'm not telling them, hey, write about yeah. this. They finally start getting into a yeah. space of I'm gonna start writing about my life and what I feel and mm -hmm. what I'm what how I feel when I'm in my cell, mm -hmm. how I feel when I'm by myself and no one's watching, and mm -hmm. I miss my brother and I miss my homie who died, and you know what I'm saying? And I'm I'm angry and my mom doesn't do this, and like then you start getting the real yeah. stuff. You know what I mean? So I'm trying to teach them like how to how to mm, give people that. 
in a way that's palatable, in a way that it's not coming across angry and and and, and offensive. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Even though hip hop can't always be, it should be have about, a right to be yeah. offensive, and and it should be in your face because we're holding yeah. up a mirror to society, right? But at the same time, you know, like you got to play politics. You don't want you don't want to record a bunch of kids saying the n word and saying bitches and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. one of those things where it's like, all right, well, let's get you to say talk about things that are deep and are meaningful. You know what I mean? And mm. and, and what what is how do you want to be represented? Mm. Right? If 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 writing raps and story is is about storytelling and about a narrative, what is the narrative to your life? What is the moral to your story? Yeah. What do you want that to be? What you what do you want your legacy to be? Do you want it to be about money you don't have? Mm-hmm. Cars you're not driving? Mm-hmm. Guns you know what I'm saying? Carry. Guns you don't carry. All of the all of that capping got you here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what kind of legacy do you want to have that's going to keep you out of this place? What kind of legacy do you want to put out there that's going to take the next generation that's under you and is going to give them inspiration for better? You know what I'm saying? Like that and so that be, these these become the questions that they have to start asking themselves. But you're just literally there to create that prompt for them cuz otherwise, you know, left yeah. to their own devices, they may not have that opportunity. Let me ask you, man. Um how has Islam changed you the most? And I'll, and I'll start by saying that when I came into Islam, I came in under a black nationalist mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, Islam wasn't just a faith. It was the black man's original nature. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just a religion. It was an, a religion that was intended for him only and first. And so, like, when I came in, even though I had read Malcolm X and I knew yeah. he went to Mecca. No, it didn't, the black it didn't man, connect, right? You know what I'm saying? Is yeah. What is, and, and, and I had a very kind of Panther esque slash five percent slash NOI little right bits of that, but that was still part of my real identity. Yeah, you know? for me it was it was a little bit different because you know I grew up with white parents. Yeah, so that's the <laughs> so <laughs> you I know was what I'm saying? Like, I was black from the burbs getting called a nigger all day. Yeah, so I had all kinds of latent rage. You know what I'm saying? On top of the I rage, had rage that was unsuppressed because I couldn't I couldn't my my mother wouldn't really understand how to react right. to me being called a nigger in right. school, and I and it wasn't like it wasn't happening. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I told my my I, I've told my sons the, the the same story time and again about like a, a kid who came from Europe, and mm-hmm. I was in fifth grade, and I I'm so excited to meet him because yeah, he's yeah. from Europe and yeah, new kid up? on the school, and I wanted to shake his hand, and he wouldn't shake my hand. He says my dad told me not to let niggers touch me. Whoa! And I was in fourth grade. Right, so I remember, you know what I'm saying. So I remember that, and I I, I don't remember ever having that conversation with my white mother about that. I don't remember having any conversations about race or how I should maneuver and move as a black man in society, and how to and having that talk about how to talk to cops. Yeah, I I never had those kind of conversations with 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 my. So when so my approach to Islam has always been about humanity at large. See, and I came in on the opposite. I was so right. polarized. And then I'm starting to read about the Prophet Muhammad. I'm starting to read right. about white Muslims in Sicily. I met in 93 uh, a Chechen graffiti writer in Germany. Right. And I didn't really understand what Chechnya was. Huh. So I always call going to Stuttgart, Germany in 93 to do those shows is my mini Mecca experience because I met Turks, right. Chechens, and right. all the these blonde haired, blue eyed Muslims yes. that Malcolm X was like, talking about. And they're right? looking like, yeah. out for me, like, like Coma. He used to bomb under Coma in Stuttgart. 
Coma, bro. If you still out there, blood, holler at me, please, bro. <laughs> but like he, when we were doing shows out there, like he knocked on my door first thing in the morning. Like he would always come to the hotel. Hey, so I'm like, are you up? And I was like, no. But <laughs> but but the thing was is that the first day or two, I found it irritating. But he came because he loved me right. as a Muslim. Yeah, you know what yeah. I'm saying. And I was like. This is what Malcolm X was talking right. about. Right. And that, that's you know? really and what so it was. What ended up happening for me is all of this hard left black radical. I came out on the other side today, man. And I just, I'm very different. I love humanity. I love the human yeah, family. Yeah, for me, it was just getting you know in touch saying? with my, my humanity. And my humanity is, you, you gain your humanity from spirituality. There has to be some level of spirituality in your everyday, day-to-day practice or perspe- perception for, for you to be in tune with the rest mm. of the world. And when I say the rest of the world, I'm not just talking about other human beings. I'm talking about all living things. Nature. Right? To be in tune, to have that, that compassion and that empathy that puts you in tune with all living things. Mm. And it is when you are in tune with all living things that you begin to develop that, that level of mercy mm. that is necessary for human it's beings true. to exist on this plane of existence, right? Like, so for me, it, it it's always been like, it's always been about appealing to humanity, waking up the humanity in human beings by giving them an experience, whether I'm teaching or rapping, giving them an experience that on one level or another gives a glimpse into something otherworldly. That's so deep, man, because, you know, like when when I teach jujitsu and chess, like people, I, they, they say, well, why do you do it? Right? Why do you t- teach hip hop, chess and martial arts? You know, and I say, because I want them to use one of those three things to find their humanity so that they can see it in someone else. Right. Because if someone doesn't know their own humanity, they will never acknowledge yours. Exactly. And that's why you have to treat people beautifully. You know? Like, you know, when 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 I hear you say words like mercy, right? And mm-hmm. I think of being a merciful human being all the time. I think a lot of people, especially men, think of 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 treating people with mercy as weakness, you know? And the thing is is like or pity. Yeah, or like so there's a softness in it. And it's like, man, I'm telling you, like treating people with mercy and and seeing their humanity sometimes even when they don't see it in themselves like it's it's an important thing man it's an important thing and that's not a black thing nobody has a pat yeah for me it was that. yeah you know it, was, I mean? it was for me it was just about like it, it softened the hard edges like you know i was a very angry kid me for too. a lot of different reasons you know what i mean and and and, and that transition was was rooted in wanting to soften my edges. Like mm-hmm. I just needed something calming, something soothing, something relaxing. And 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 Islam gave me gave me the format. It gave me the formula. You know what I'm saying? It gave me the vocabulary of when I'm grateful. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? What it is to say, what, what do I say when I'm grateful for something? What do I say when I'm hoping for something and I'm praying for something? And I really, it gave me the, not only the, but the ritual as well. It gave me the prayer. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you know, and in and, and my own admission, I don't pray as much as I used to. You know, I mean, right. I was like, you know, I think, I think every convert goes through their phases. You go through your hard, staunch. Yeah, yeah you're hitting Salat, um, Salat is you're, prayer. You're, you know what hitting I'm saying? Salat's five you waking times. Like, you waking up blah, 30 blah. minutes before Fajr. You yeah, know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, before yeah. The, the dawn prayer. prayer. You know what I'm saying? You waking up. <laughs> You you in it, and I've had my bouts, and I've gone through that whole mm. that, that that whole you know the uh, the hyper zealot mm. zealous kind mm. of uh, 
moon and I've gone through the complete opposite. I've gone through the anti-religious mm. and having the existential or the the, the crisis of faith mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. dealing with all of that. And I've come full circle and I've I've tried to find a balance. And I'm, I'm not the best Muslim on earth by no stretch of the imagination, but it's still rooted in me, right? Yeah. And it's still something that I, I I I always consider myself a Muslim regardless. And it's little. It's always there are always moments in my in my life that remind me of it, or, or it's God the universe reminding me mm-hmm. of my Islam. It's bumping into people like you mm-hmm. in, the, in, in in juvenile detention of all places. Right, 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 right. right, right. Just when I'm like not even thinking about the dean, some, I get a call from a dude who's known me since I was like before Muslim. Before yeah. I was Muslim. He'll call me just to see how I'm doing. And I'm so I'm not even in my dean yeah. like that, but he'll call me and it reminds me. It's like, yeah. it's those moments of what, what they call in Arabic tawbah, when you, when mm-hmm. you come back mm-hmm. to, you know what I'm saying? To like, so I have, clear. yeah, so I have those moments all the time. And but with 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 all of that said and done, it's still rooted in who I am. It's rooted in the way I treat people. It's yeah. rooted in the way I talk. It's rooted in the way that I approach my performance. I want to give people an experience that gives them something spiritual in it. Mm-hmm. That they 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 wake up from the mundanity of their own existence and mm-hmm. experience to f- recognize that there's something more to you, mm-hmm. not me. It's not about me on the stage. It's about us. It's about a collective experience. It's about a moment. Hip hop is about a moment that we're all sharing, right? For us to be receptive to divine communication, and that's how I honestly believe it. That's, that's why I deep. believe from from its onset what we were being exposed to in the Bronx, what we have been exposed to throughout the entire world and planet Earth, whether you're a B-boy, graffiti writer, or MC, DJ, whatever the case is. Beatboxer, double-dutcher. Beatboxer, you know what I'm saying? Knowledge being the fifth element of hip-hop. Like, like, you know, these are things that, like, are are imperative. So I I always have that, that, that intention of, you know bringing it back to the essence yeah. which is my my spirituality which is just spirituality as a whole islam in particular yeah. but spirituality as a whole i want people to have that experience i want people to feel human you know what i'm saying i want my the kids that i teach to be a little bit more humanized yeah by especially because they're on lockdown man like totally. you know real quick you said some things that really inspire like my head is really spinning right now it's, uh, so forgive me if my questions suck <laughs> yeah, no at worries. this moment but what I want to touch on is, you know, I think, and I'm always going to bat for the kids on lockdown. So listen, if you're in juvenile hall right now and you can hear my voice, know that you are loved and that there is a guy who prays for you mm. all the time, even if you don't see him all the time. And, you know, I have a friend named Omar who works in juvie, you know, uh, once a monster, now mentor, you know what I'm saying? Also, also Damien Posey. That's my Damien, man. You know what I'm saying? Big bro. Um, I have special love for people who work in juvenile hall, you know what I'm saying? But I think that like one of the reasons why I like to talk about juvenile hall on this show is because I feel like kids in juvenile hall are essentially forgotten by America. Totally. You know, they're like it breaks my heart, especially the girls. Mm. The incarcerated girls are some of the most forgotten souls. Incarcerated women. You know, and when I see these girls who was holding a gun for their boyfriend or tried to dump the syrup but got caught too fast or, you know, manipulated and pushed into prostitution, drug use and stuff like that. These are beautiful human beings, man. And my heart, like it aches for them so many times, you know, and and there was a kid the last time I went and I don't remember his name, but I said, I said. What are you reading right now? 
And he looked me dead in my eyes. He said, I'm studying the latest book by Stephen Hawking. And I'm also reading the four agreements. So this kid, I don't even believe that he really read Stephen Hawking's. So I was like, well, what else did you read, bro? What did you read before that? And then he told me some other stuff that I also hadn't read. <laughs> and I was like, all right. And then I, but I yeah. keep talking to him. And this kid uh, is not going to graduate high school. That's One of the crazy. smartest kids I've ever met in my life, for real, is not graduating high school. And I just, I couldn't believe it. I, I, I was so heartbroken. <laughs> and there's so many young girls I met over the years whose faces are burned into my brain forever. And it's like, they have horrible futures. They have horrible lives, you know? And like, will you talk for a minute about some of the kids that you met that you recall and like really just help remind you of how beautifully intelligent our children are? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I got to give a shout out to my man, Ali Bo, my man, Kevy Bo, you know what I'm saying? Unit 5. Uh, in in Alameda County Juvenile uh, Facility is you know those to me are like shining stars because like I met them and you know like every kid they're always apprehensive they're always kind of like trying to figure you out mm-hmm. and see whether or not you real and 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 about it you know and I just approach them like a human being I don't know what they're in there for so I can't judge them and I I don't come to them with the same level of contempt that maybe a lot of adults in their lives have had. So it's just a matter of like just talking to them. And then they kind of respond to me because they recognize in me, I think I I would like to think that they recognize in me something that's like, yeah, he's kind of hood, but there's something about him that's not hood. That's that's something like, you know, and it's just giving them that, it's it's that buy-in that you need from any student, whether they're in juvenile or not. You want buy-in from your students, especially as a teaching artist, you want your kids to think you're cool. You know what I mean? So I think it, it started with that. And then it was just a, by virtue of them just being talented and, and intellectually curious that you just kind of put them under your wing in, in, the, in the short t- amount of time that you're there. And you say, hey, here, here's how you make a beat and here's how you do this. And you start talking philosophically about your ideas and your creative process. And they kind of pick up on game and they, they run with it themselves. So then now they're making beats. They know exactly what to do, what buttons to press and all of that. And then when it comes to their rhyme writing, they're, they're talented. They're, they're starting to understand and play around with different cadences and rhyme schemes and narratives and all of that. So like they, they, for me have always stood out and, you know, I, I think Kevy Bow may be on the outs, but, but, my man Ali Bo's still in there, or you know what I mean? And and every time I see him, it's love. You know what I mean? Yeah. It went from just, oh, all right, yo, and then just, just dapping yeah, me and just giving me the pound to now it's like full on hugs. Yeah, like, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Cause they're just genuinely happy to see me. Yeah. And that's always reinforced by every time I walk in there and I'm going through the metal detector and I'm I'm with the CEOs and they like, they never stop talking about y'all, bro. Like, yeah. you know, they get excited and it's like, that's that's what, that's what it's all for. And you know, and I I I, you know, we do the intercessions. But then I am also volunteering every Tuesday. Okay. You know what I mean? So I'm there every Tuesday or every other Tuesday. I try yeah. to make it a point. And it's I'm I'm not out I'm not out there until late. I'm not out there until like maybe 7 30, almost eight o'clock at night. Word. Right. On the heels of a very, very busy day. Yeah. You know what I mean? My my day starts at 6 30. Yeah. And I'm there at eight o'clock at night. And I have to teach there for an hour. Right. So I'm in, but I make it a point to be there because yeah. I know when I'm not there, I'm missed. And I know that they appreciate my presence because yeah. they, they don't get it all the time. And um, yeah, it's just seeing that that you, you get to see kids become kids again. 
Yeah, it's beautiful. That's we're in a world that's trying to make them grow up overnight. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like when I first meet these kids, they're all like hardcore and mm-hmm. they, you know, they don't want to show no, you know, but then you get to see them that they're they're children. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's and that's the that's the thing that we forget. I think all too often we put that criminal label on these children and we forget their humanity. True. You know what I mean? And no different than when society as a whole or the media in particular yeah. does it for people of color, black or brown, mm-hmm. when they label us criminals and thugs and this and this and that. People forget our humanity. They lose sight of that. This is why kids like Tamir Rice can get shot in the street mm. for playing around with a toy gun. Right, because that whoever's shooting is not seeing the humanity. Not seeing They're not the seeing you're a child. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? These are our children. Not seeing the boy in my. You know what I mean? And exactly. And it's 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 that it's, and our children have to start seeing themselves as children. They can't be in such a rush to grow up. And our society is making them grow up. I mean, I'm having that same argument and debate with my my 12 year old son. He's about to be 13, and he he's in such a rush to get older. Yeah. You know, and I tell him all the time, like, not not to slow down, youngin, but it's more like, yo, <laughs> you know, that's the natural response. But, slow down, you know, young. slow down, pump your brakes, young stuff. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. but it's not, it's like, no, enjoy being a child. Yeah. You only get but so much of it. Yeah. You I know what I'm saying? The same thing in class. Yeah, like, like, yo, you only get so much of the things I was doing at 13. My, I'm I'm blessed and privileged that my son got, Man. Is, is not doing. He's hey, nowhere sure. close to it. Thank you, son, and two daughters. Appreciate you know what I'm saying? Y'all. Just like, yo, just be. Just be children. You know what I mean? Because your your childhood is the first step to your humanity. And I'm mm. all about... Wait, Say that one more time for your, the people your in the back. childhood is the first step to your humanity. So it goes back to what we've been talking about this whole time. Talking about that 15-year-old me. I always talk about it. And I always talk about him because it reminds me of my childhood. It reminds me of the, my humanity. It reminds me of my optimism. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Kids, we, we we try to suppress it. We try to get them into this fast-paced world and have them grow up overnight. And they're so willing, you know, because they just want to be part yeah. of it all, you know. Yeah. But they forget that like there, there's benefit and blessing in just being innocent wow. and having that level of innocence that you know you. you I honestly believe your prayers are answered a lot faster because mm. you ain't you ain't done none of the bullshit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like you know you're not tainted by the, the the realities of this world. You still have this. You still have this protective hedge. You know, and I think it's uh, it's imperative on us as adults, as educators, as fathers, as black men, as OGs, whatever you want to call us, you know, mm-hmm. Jedi's, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call us, mm-hmm. right? I think it's imperative on us, men and women, for us to preserve the innocence of our children mm. as much as possible. But that start that first starts with preserving our innocence on our own as child. much as possible. Oh man, <laughs> dude, you you you're 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 unspinning old therapy sessions on me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't, I don't mean to. I just you, Yo, you got me no, tapped in, mad. man. I'm, like, not, I'm not mad about it. I'm, 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 but it's true, man. It's true. Um before we go, I want to ask you what to like name a book and a movie if someone doesn't understand hip hop or Islam, what should they watch? For me, I'm going to suggest the PBS documentary Legacy of a Prophet, which I believe is in full on YouTube on the cuts. Yeah. Like I don't think like there's an right Legacy of a Prophet that was on PBS. And uh if you're going to see something that deals with hip hop, I would just say The Freshest Kids. 
I just love the it. freshest kids. That okay, yeah, that was, great, that's a good one. That's a great. Is that the QD three one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. QD three. That's a that's a really good one. That was fresh. Yeah. Um, for me, if it comes down to hip hop, I think the the I think um, what I what I my go to for hip hop is I don't even call it my go to. I just think for now, I think it's right. a, it's a good four year into it would be uh, what's the word? It, it's a uh, Planet Rock, the story of hip hop and the crack generation. Like, it just, I, yeah. I just think that that's a good one. Just yeah. in terms of just because you got to understand the circumstances. Like, you got to understand the historical context why hip hop is what it is and how it comes and, and where it comes from. You know, um, sample this. I think that's on YouTube right mm-hmm. now, or mm-hmm. not YouTube, but but Netflix. Mm-hmm. Sample this, just kind of just talking about like the the, the root of the beat. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying, and how that created a culture, just the, the spinning and and mm-hmm. and all of those things. Um, Rubble Kings and and and, and yeah, and Rubble like, Kings is hard. Um, um, can't stop, won't stop. Can't stop. There, that's it. <laughs> Jeff Chang. Jeff Chang's can't stop. What up? Stop, you know what I mean? Jeff Chang been knowing Jeff Chang since he was DJ Zen up in ah. Davis. What up, DJ Zen, bro? Yeah, yeah. Look um, at y'all, DJ intellectuals. You know yeah, what I mean? bro. I'll um, tell you. I'll tell you. Uh, yeah. I got a quick. Yeah. Jeff Chang story. Go. Deals with hip hop education. Yeah. So. It's my first time giving a lecture at Harvard University. I'm speaking on hip hop and Islam, mm-hmm. and. It starts to snow. I've never really been in the snow being a West Coaster, unless I wanted to be up at Tahoe or something. Right, you know what right, I mean? Right. And Jeff Chang was hanging out with Joe Schloss. What up, Joe? And my boy Mike Watson uh, at Tufts. And I had seen Jeff speak earlier in the day. And so he was like, oh, I'll come to your talk tonight at Harvard. So I'm watching the place fill up. And we were driving through some area of Roxbury, which is where Malcolm X is from when he was in Boston. Yeah. And I got like hit with something in my spirit where I'm looking at the room fill up mm-hmm. and I'm like, Malcolm X book at Harvard. You ain't no Malcolm X, bruh. And then <laughs> I was like, you, you have a GED, bro. And then I was like, you didn't graduate high school, bruh, and you about to speak in front of Harvard students and faculty, you are not built for this. Like, this is what... And, like, Jeff Chang starts coming through the door. Like, he's he's walking past me. Yeah. And he's like, hey, what's up, man? I'm like, what's up? And he's like, you ready? And I was like, I, I shouldn't be here, Jeff. I don't even have a fucking diploma, man. Like, <laughs> I don't feel like I should be doing this, man. Like, and he, he 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 said, hey, hey, hey. He's like, you got this. You're fine. You're going to do fine. And I was like, you think so? He was like, yeah. I'm going to go sit down. <laughs> like, you went yeah. and sat down. Yeah. And it was fine. Yeah. You know what I'm done. saying? But it's funny how, like, one, that hip-hop even, and Islam got me to Harvard at all. Nuts. But two, that in that moment, like, just a kind word from a friend can, like, take you. And I had a, I had a great talk. You know what yeah. I mean? I had a great talk. But like everything that happened after I mean, Harvard, bro. I yeah, am I yeah, am a yeah. dropout from Oceana <laughs> High School. I'm a dropout from Oceana High School. And it's, like I'm telling you, if Islam doesn't come in my life, none of that stuff about Socrates, none of this stuff about the Moors, whatever you hear me talking about, man, it's all because 
of public enemy. Yeah, it's that, and that's that's crazy. That you know what I'm saying? It, yeah, it, 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 they're they're very. Uh, What's the term? Strange bedfellows, yeah, right? yeah, hip hop yeah. and Islam. Like you know, like for me, it was, it, it was hip hop. Then it was Islam. Then it became hip hop. And then now it's like both. Yeah, me. man. It's like it's like this crazy, weird marriage inside my my consciousness. Um, but it, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's it's the only way that I I, I was able to realize my my lifelong dreams. Are there any are there lenses. any books you suggest to anybody? Um, I suggest Purification of the Heart by Hamza Yusuf. That's, that's a really yeah, good one. That, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, if you're say. coming in on like I got nothing, I suggest Purification, Purification of, of the, the Heart towards understanding Islam. That book, I mean, just yeah. in terms of just getting a, a basic standard, yeah, understanding any book. I mean, I I, I, I there's a bunch of them on, on the Prophet Muhammad. Yeah, if you really just want to understand Islam beyond all the intellectual stuff, just understand the man who brought it here. And that... Yes, that's that's, the Prophet Muhammad. Like, don't get caught up in a lot of stuff about what people say about the Quran. Study the Prophet Muhammad. Yeah, and and, and in my older years as as an adult, you know what I'm saying, especially like with all the socio-political stuff going on with Islam Mm. and all of these different things. Like for me, I, f- I found the best way to get back into the practice of my 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 faith mm. is to really just study his behavior. Yep. Is to pro- study the Prophet Muhammad's behavior patterns. And that for me has become in and of itself the the the, the ritual and the prayer and all of that. I mean, mm. it's still prayer is important. Right. No, I hear ritual you. is important. But that in and of itself becomes an act of worship. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because I've, I've, I've found myself in situations where my brain is telling me or my impulses and my, my, my hood sensibilities are like, nah, son, we're going to do it this way. And then my other sensibilities are like, nah, try it this way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do it the way that, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it goes back to all those hadiths where you have, you know, uh, companions or friends of the mm-hmm. prophet really getting mad about wanting to ride on somebody. And he's like, nah, we're going to nah, do it this we're way. Gonna chill, actually. And you see, so it's just, it's understanding the long game, bro. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not something, that's not a perspective I have without, Spirituality, that's not a perspective I have without hip hop. Yeah. It's just understanding the long game. So, yeah, purification of the heart towards understanding Islam. Um, you're putting me on the spot because it's no, it's hard. And there's so many that books that swirl in my brain right now. So, you know what like, I'm there's one by Houston Smith about mm. the Prophet Muhammad that's small. So, if you don't want to have to, like, yeah, Houston Smith has a, has a, has a, uh, a book about Islam that's really good. I think it's just called Muhammad. But before we go, man, I can't let you out of here without without dropping some bars on us because uh-huh. that would be well, that would be not that would be weak, bro. That, yeah, that would to be, have an MC on be. here and, and totally. not really, really. Totally. How many, have you had a lot of MCs on this? You're really. I had this one kid from Syria who who who, who did some. But so you haven't had an American? No. Okay. Well, then we there we go. So now, yeah, no. I got to represent for, for yeah. the country. I got to do it for the culture. Actually, no. You know what? I had. <laughs> I had uh I had Zumbi from Zion I. Hey. We were talking about we were talking about MMA the whole time and like hip hop did not <laughs> did not come up. Right. So right. well yeah, this is start uh, this cipher now. All right, <laughs> start this cipher. Uh okay. So yeah, so here, all right, peeping. Um I see into the future like a psychic. I wonder, does the Lord hit a prayer of the righteous? Searching for some truth or some undercover spy tip. Treat music like my woman and my woman like your highness. At night, my mind drifts. We live in a crisis. They traded slave whips for them Billy Club light sticks. Now you got Asian dudes with black dude haircuts. We set in the trends but still end up with our hands cuffed. Shot with our hands up. Man, haven't you had enough? We did sit-ins in the 60s. Time for standing up. My nana told me, be well-spoken. Keep your grammar up. Treat my lyrics like bullets. Pull the trigger. Let 
with the hammer bust. Bang. Man. And it's hard to maintain when they trying to turn the black man into a blood stain. And I am filled with frustration and rage. But to find yourself worth is worth breaking the cage. I know my whole life I've been living a lie. Because I was told the little dark skinned boys couldn't fly. But I've grown my wings so that my soul can rise. I could do anything as long as I touch the sky. <laughs> it's a little something. What so, did I tell you, huh? <laughs> I told you I hang out with real microphone killers, boy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> My homies Merc Stages. Now me? Yo, that yeah. was dope. Now, for the people that want to catch your music so they can buy it or to see you bust or to just connect game, uh, totally. how yes. do they do just- it? All the things, man. Just just follow me on all the social medias. Unlearn the world, you know, as it sounds. Unlearn the world. You can also check out my website, unlearntheworld.com. I got a, like, a lot of exclusive content on there, videos, new music, all of those things. You can check out my albums, I Saint, I Center, I Self is on Spotify, iTunes, all of that. I just dropped the album last year called Universes. That's also on all the digital platforms. I'm putting out a single in a couple of months as well as a mixtape that's going to be exclusively on my website called Flawed Hero. The album is going to be called The Rumors Are True, so look out for that. I got a video out now called I Am Who I Am. And today that's is- That's a dope video, by the way. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And then today is the fifth or fourth year anniversary of my first album, The Wake Up Call. Um, that's gonna that's on SoundCloud right now, and I'll re- re-release it on my website soon. So, you know, Word, check man. me out, man. Vibe with me, and then you can also just email info at unlearntheworld.com if you have any questions, queries, if you want me to come to your school or whatever. Shout out to Hip Hop for Change as an organization. I'm their education director. Shout out to Today's Future Sound. I'm one of their senior instructors, so follow out, follow the work they're doing. And, you know, it's all in the name of hip hop. It's all in the name of God. And, you know, we're just trying to keep things positive and, and, and enlightening. Word for the Muslims out there. What 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 words? What closing words for Ramadan or opening words? For oh, Ramadan? Uh, you know Ramadan Mubarak. You know, and 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 may Allah just have mercy on all of us. You know, what I'm saying may may some of us out there find the path back to our Dean, find the path back to God, and 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 be enveloped in in the mercy and the and the blessing of this month. You know, what I'm saying, and it's it's I take it for granted personally how sacred this month is. And I think part of uh part of me meeting with you today is that I'm I'm I gotta I gotta put it back in my life in a way that it needs to because it's important not only for my health and my sanity as a human being, but just for my spiritual heart. Mm. And I think that if if and if if we're if we're gonna talk about, you know, Islam, I just want the Muslims to to use this month as a as a means to reestablish their relationship with their creator. You know what I'm saying? Even if you talk to God every day, reestablish, really get into the thick of it. Have those late night conversations. You know what I mean? And I think that amazing things will be revealed to you, to all of us collectively. I hope that God has mercy on all of us. And I pray for all the Muslims suffering all over the world and in very harsh environments, whether it's Yemen, whether it's Syria, whether it's China right now, Indonesia, you know, we're, we're, we're hurting different parts of Africa. We're hurting. We're perpetually hurting Um, Israel and Palestine. Like, you know, like there's, you know, there's a lot of parts of the Muslim world that are thriving, but there are a lot of parts of the Muslim world that are suffering. And I think that we need to lend voice and mercy to that suffering. Um, and, and, and 
respond in kind with righteousness and mercy. So. Word, man. I, I just want to thank you again for being on the show. You know, to the Muslims around the world, man, know that I love you, man. Know that I'm praying for you, man. Like, for real, like Muslims in China, Chechnya, you know what I'm saying? In South America, you know what I'm saying? Like, I got you. And Muslims right here. In North America, Big we ain't facts. always having it. You know, we ain't always having it the best. You know what I'm saying? And I would also pray for the Muslims uh, during this Ramadan. Take some time to share compassion with people of, of people who don't pray like you, don't eat like you. Share share your compassion with them. Share your mercy with them. Share your homes with them. And and you know, let's work on on making America better by engaging. You know. Uh, our neighbors better. Whoever your neighbors are, it's not that big of a deal. You know what I'm saying? Let's just be a little kinder to ourselves and be a little kinder to each other. And when I say each other, I really do mean everybody. And on that note, this is FarsideTV.com. You know you're listening to Side Life Radio. This is the Bishop Chronicles. Peace. Teacher, what star is that? Technique. <laughs>